following is a presentation of the Outside Lens Radio Network. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Outside Blitz. I am your host, the fabulous one, Scotty Freytown, along with my co-host, the Cannonball, Alex Steele. Alex, how are we doing over there? Boom goes the Cannonball. I've got a beer in hand. I've got lunch in belly. I am ready to rock this house. There we go. Uh, and also joining us, I'm super stoked, talked about it a little bit last week, our good friend, the Bootleg Better Boots. How are we doing, baby? Welcome to the show. Happy to have you on. I'm happy to be here, brother. I've wined and dined with kings and queens, and I slept in alleys and died on fucking beds. And now he's here to make all of your betting dreams come true. Is that right? Well, most. Well, <laughs> <laughs> all depends on if uh, if the kicker makes it through or not. Don't bet on Meyer. <laughs> no, what a mess! What a what mess! To be. Uh, well, gentlemen, the divisional round is in the books. We have uh, our, our conference championship games set in stone. We know what's going on. We are just 24 hours away from those games kicking off. Uh, first of all, let's jump into our scores real quick. Alex, you ready? Boots, you ready? I'm ready. I'm on vacation, so I am ready. <laughs> vacation time. Well, here are your scores for the divisional round in the NFL, starting out with the Chiefs and the Jags. The Chiefs go get the W, 27-20. Look, this game, first of all, I just want to say it says 27-20, but this game was not as close as the score dictates. Uh, at, at the end of the day, the Jags were down 14 for a long stretch of this game. They fire back. Come, the Jags come back. They, they get within a, I guess, an onside kick in this situation. But at the end of the day, it's the Kansas City Chiefs going on to the AFC title game. Patty Mahomes suffers a high ankle sprain in this game. Uh, first of all, Alex, I mean, the Chiefs, I mean, it's just Patrick Mahomes doing Patrick Mahomes things, right? Well, uh, when you consider the stat line, it, you can certainly say that. He went 22 for 30, 195 yards and two touchdowns. He also had three rushes for eight yards. Uh, not as mobile of a quarterback as he usually is. I mean, not, and that's without the high ankle sprain. Uh, Travis Kelsey also doing Travis Kelsey things. 14 receptions for 98 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Kadarius Tony getting some work done. Five catches for 36. This Kansas City Chiefs team is firing on all cylinders. I want to point out Kadarius Tony might just be one of the best trades that anybody made this season yep. at the deadline. Uh, he's turned out to be just a star for them over there in Kansas City. Boots. Yeah, the, yeah, the Gi the Giants lost out on a, on a clutch wide receiver. I mean, I'm not sure if the previous administration didn't know what to do with the poor guy, but uh, Andy Reid sure knows what to do. Yeah, uh, Boots, what do you make of this Kansas City team and this game? I mean, we're, we this was a hell of a game, and you know, also big ups to the Jags, right? They they went further than any of us expected them to go the divisional round for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Quite a turnaround for Jacksonville. I didn't see that coming. No, like most of like most of us, but they did do a wonderful job, especially 
in the first quarter, answering back from that first drive that Kansas City had. 12 plays, 83 yards, and, and Jacksonville and Trevor Lawrence answered right back. I got to give him credit. Yeah, uh, Trevor Lawrence has been doing that all season long. I mean, just he gets down, he fires back. He gets down, he fires back. He he is not one to shy away from when he gets down in a situation, especially, I mean, you saw it against against the, the Chargers last week. Four picks, brother. Four picks in the first half and then comes back four touchdowns in the second half. It was like a completely different person. That shows mental toughness. That that That's a, an intangible that a lot of guys just don't have. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is a special player, uh, you know, and after dealing with the Urban Meyer debacle that we saw last year. He got the hit. Yeah. He got that Urban <laughs> Yep. Yeah, that was a mess too. Oh, it just ugly bowling shoe, ugly. Yeah, and and I thought it really showed a lot of intestinal fortitude on the end of Patrick Mahomes being able to come back, being able to 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 step back out there after the half, high ankle sprain and all, play as well as he did. I mean, he played good ball. I mean, it wasn't you know a Patrick Mahomes stat line. We didn't see 400 yards and all this other nonsense. But what we did see is Patrick Mahomes come out there manage the football game as a leader and to me this chief team they 100% belong in that AFC title game as far as I'm concerned I thought they played incredible ball all year long and this just shows that clutch gene of Patrick Mahomes right I would say that yeah I I 100% agree you know the Kansas City Chiefs are the bells of the ball here Um, Jacksonville did have a a chance Um, you know if they would have started out uh, better if they would have started out, uh, you know, not getting down 14 points at, in halftime, we'd be having a different conversation. But the fact of the matter is, uh, KC was able to keep their foot on the gas, even as the uh, Jaguars uh, nipped at their heels. But, you know, an argument could possibly be made for saying the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, you know, deserve a little bit of appreciation. But at the end of the day, I mean, I totally agree. This Kansas City team, you know, is... If, if they're not in the AFC Championship game, something went wrong. And one guy that I think we, we all haven't given enough credit to, Isaiah Pacheco in this whole thing. That, yep. A late-round pick, yeah, playing as well as he has. Um, and, and he had himself a hell of a game in this one. I mean, Isaiah Pacheco got it done, for, and he's been getting it done for the Chiefs all year long. And I know I, I 12 carries for 95 yards. I mean, that's a 7.9 average. I mean, he had himself a hell of a game against a very tough Jacksonville defense. Am I right? From Rutgers. Yep. Isaiah Pacheco was really, really good. Uh, he's a strong runner, balanced, uh, tough. You don't think he's as fast as he is, but when he gets into the open field, he's got an extra little burst on him, and uh, he is looking to score all the time. He's good. He does have a nose for the end zone. He gets tough yardage. I like him a lot. Yeah, we got to see that when he when he burst to the outside in that game. We we saw that one huge run that he had. Yeah. Um. I mean, and guys were guys were chasing it. It almost turned into a, t- a big long touchdown there for the Chiefs, and that would have actually probably daggered the the Jags and put it you know put it away. Yeah. But but at the end of the day, I mean, Isaiah Pacheco is is a special special player. Um. And and like you said, that burst at the second level when he gets through, mm-hmm. he takes off. Uh. And yeah. and for a guy like that, if I'm not mistaken, I think he was a seventh round pick. And, and he's turned into a star running back for them. So the Chiefs go out and they get it done, 27 to 20. They move on to the AFC title game. Um, next, oh, what, what you got? There is slightly a little bit of, uh, of, of praise should go to Mr. Chad Henry. 
Mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. talking a trusted veteran backup who, when Patrick Mahomes the second goes out with that ankle injury, he comes in cold. Hey, but he knows exactly what to do. He knows where to get the ball, when to get it there. They were a balanced uh, offense when that drive happened because you saw Jacksonville ramp up some pressure and Chad Haney knew where to go with the football when they did that. And they, Kansas City sustained the drive that they needed. And that was the really, in my eyes, that was a tipping point of the entire game. Yeah, Chad Henney, we, we got to see him, uh, I think it was two years ago, we got to see him come in re- in relief of Patrick Mahomes yeah. uh, with the, dis- yeah, the dislocated kneecap. And he actually came in, it was a four-game stretch, I think he did there. Yeah. And and he performed very well throughout yeah. that. I think he went three and one in that stretch. So, I mean, special quarterback. Um, I You know, Chad Henney, I don't think he is, obviously he's not a starter in this league. We've been through that experiment. But is he a high-end spot start kind of backup? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, moving on to the next game, divisional round, Eagles and the Giants. The Eagles go out and dominate the Giants, 38-7. to um, That score pains me as a Vikings fan, uh, just seeing that 38-7. <laughs> uh, to We remember that mess in 2017, don't yep. we? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Daniel Jones in, in the wild card round looked like a superhero. But he was taking on a very bad Minnesota defense. At the end of the day, Daniel Jones comes in and gets brought back down to earth. Looks very human against a very good Philadelphia defense. 15 for 27, 135. He throws a pick in the game. Couldn't get going on the ground. Uh, Saquon only had nine carries on the day. They abandoned the run. I mean, this was just an all-out domination by the Eagles, by that defense. Uh, their running game, Kenneth Gainwell, Miles Sanders, both big numbers on the day. I mean, this is a, a special Eagles team. They went out and beat the brakes off of a Giants team that everybody was kind of like, eh, and expected them to get knocked out in the wild card round. So I'm not entirely sold on this Eagles team yet as far as their playoff abilities. But, at, I mean, here we are, the Eagles moving on to the NFC title game. This was a, a, a pretty definitive beating of the Giants, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, Jalen Hurts surprisingly only had 16 catches, you know, uh, 24 passes and 16 receptions for 154 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, He didn't move too much on the ground. He only had nine carries and 34 yards, but he did get a touchdown. Um, I really think that, you know, know, credit the running game. Kenneth Gainwell, when, when... we didn't really know where this guy came from, but he has 12 carries for 112 yards. He's come out of nowhere, and Miles Sanders is nipping at his heels. Uh, and obviously, you have the double the double trouble of A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. Um, and Dallas Goddard squeezing his way in there uh, as well. So you do have, I do believe that they have a very dynamic team. Um, and I think I understand what you're talking about when we go to talk about uh, some more scores later on. Uh, but, it, you know, obviously we know that the Philadelphia Eagles will be playing the Phil- the San Francisco 49ers uh, for the right to call themselves the NFC representative in the Super Bowl. And, you know, we, you know, as we'll discuss in picks, it could go either way. I'm sold on the Eagles only because, you know, their record speaks for themselves. You know, they've, they've had, you know, a couple of games here and there where it was like iffy first game of the year you know they they beat the lions by three points so what does that tell you 
Well, and, and one thing I want to point out about that game, and, and you know, Lions fans, and, and I know you, you keep saying this, and you've brought it up several times, Lions fans are sort of dying on that hill right now. Well, well we, we, we were within three points of the Eagles. Yeah, but, you, you know, in the third quarter, you were down 38. You know? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, no, that, you know, and that's fans, true. That's absolutely true. You know, so, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff where, like, when we get into those those games where it's looking like blowout central, a lot of teams start playing soft prevent coverage. They back off into those deep fours. We, we've seen that before. They give up anything underneath. They just want to keep the ball in the middle of the field and in place so the clock keeps ticking. They don't care how many points come off the board. And the Eagles just kind of let that happen. And and that's kind of what I'm, what I'm seeing. Now, Boots, I got to ask you. Real quick, because I, I think this one is, is a special player. Dallas Goddard, is he just like the most underrated tight end in all of, of football here? Or and, and is it just me? There's a reason why Philadelphia was okay with letting Zach Ertz go. Right. Right. So they knew what they had with Dallas Goddard, in Dallas Goddard, I should say. Even though he missed a, a stretch of games mm-hmm. this year, he comes back. And he's just as effective, if not more, than was when he when he left. Absolutely. And Zach Ertz, you know, he had himself a little bit of a career resurgence with Arizona, and that's all well and good. He had a good run. Yep. But at the end of the day, I think Dallas Goddard is is become the better fit for Philadelphia. I think he's become one of the better tight ends in football. Not enough people talking about him. More people, you know, we're we're always talking about Devontae Smith and AJ Brown and even Miles Sanders and Jalen Hurts, but. You don't hear much about Dallas Goddard. Jalen Hurts trusts Dallas Goddard. Yeah. Right? Quez Watkins would have been a, a very nice number three, but he is forgotten in this offense because of how good Dallas Goddard is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with this game, I mean, we, we got to see a domination by the Eagles and the Giants, uh, over the Giants, rather. Where where are you at on the Eagles here going into the NFC title game? Do you think this Eagles team is the real deal? Do you think that they're, they're uh, um, not firing as hot as we saw? earlier on in the season i think they've slowed down a little bit but maybe that's just me i know this score doesn't necessarily dictate that but we're talking about them beating the brakes off of a team that everybody thought a backed their way into the playoffs and b would have gotten popped by minnesota in the the wild card round so i mean does this score dictate that they're red hot or are you seeing the same thing i this team has slowed down it's just that they're better than the Giants. Yeah. Right? In all phases. And with Jalen Hurts, he said before to before the game that he still wasn't quite 100%. Yep. And I think you saw the game plan unfold that way. It was dominant defensive effort. He had clean pockets because the offensive line, let's face it, best in the league. Mm-hmm. He had clean pockets. It was a dominant defense. And the Giants just, quite frankly, couldn't do anything. I mean, look at the Philadelphia Eagles defense. Right. Let's just, I mean, four down defensive lineman double digit sacks yep right and you and you've got james bradbury oh man <laughs> the giants should be kicking themselves for allowing james bradbury to go right across the street mm-hmm. and and just and dominate and show exactly what the giants offense was able to do he was able to they were able to get them where exactly where they wanted them to be with very minimal effort on the part of the defense. It was a, a domination. 
Well, and, and when it comes to James Bradbury, we remember him going in Carolina, playing extremely yeah. well down there in Carolina. Yeah. How they let him? How they let him go? <clears throat> yep. And they, he gets the big contract with New York. New York brings him in, and it just seemed like New York had no idea what to do with a corner of that caliber. Like, how do you not? Yeah. Hey, <laughs> hey, here's the other team's best receiver. Stay with him. Yep. That's how you use him. Yep. And and what the the kicker about it is is that Philadelphia not only do they have James Bradbury in the situation. But everybody always forgets about him. Big play Slay is out there as the <laughs> one corner, and he is playing some of the best football I think he's ever played in his career. Yeah. Um, even when he was in Detroit, everybody loved him. But in Detroit, but at the end of the day, when going to Philly in this scheme, he takes care of business extremely well. So to have those two guys on the outside playing the way that they are, and then Chauncey Gardner Johnson in, <clears throat> in the slot. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, Gardner Johnson has, and this is the best football he's ever played. Yeah, uh, how did he, the <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you just wonder about these teams, man. Yeah, that that corner coach for for Philadelphia needs to be getting looked at for either defensive coordinator jobs or for head coaching jobs. Yeah, or looking at a raise from Philly. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. especially if they get the ball. Yeah, and and if uh, and as far as the Giants go, I mean Brian Dable did a great job. Nobody, this is another team. Nobody expected the Giants to go this far. Brian Dable comes out, um, really just turns Daniel Jones around here. Uh, what do you make of of the Giants here? Is this a going to be a resurgence for this team? I think it is under under Dable here, but um, th- this team surprised a lot of people. They turned a lot of heads. Um, I don't know that they're going to get to that next level with Daniel Jones as the quarterback. Maybe that's just my opinion. I think Daniel Jones, Jones I think this year is the ceiling for him, don't you? Yep. Without question. I mean, we all we all laughed when we when he got drafted. We all thought he was going to be a bust. Yep. You know, he looked just like Eli Manning too. And then you you have the, the highlight reel where he's running down the field, unopposed, trips in the middle of the field, and doesn't score the touchdown. Um, but here, yeah, I mean, he kind of went, but he kind of came back to earth. But he he ran into a brick wall in the form of the Philadelphia Eagles. As far as the team itself, though, uh, we've seen a lot about rebuilds. You know, we were talking a lot about rebuilds. Detroit's rebuild, New York Jets rebuild, New York Giants rebuild, and this is like, the, the, you know, we were, we're sitting here thinking. We usually we used to think, okay, a rebuild's going to take like three or four years, but you know, this one kind of came in half a season. I mean, it's not a complete rebuild. I mean, they're they're still like, like they're they're still like wild card caliber, and they should have got knocked out in the first round. But you know, Brian Dayball, to his credit, has taken this team that was a proverbial dumpster fire, put out the flames, and and gave them the tools necessary to make it into the playoffs. So you know that it, it's just an indication that these days, you know, the expectations of a rebuild are now all of a sudden going to be, you know, raised. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Now we saw the Jets turn things around with Sauce and while and Miles Garrett. Uh, not Miles Garrett. Um Garrett Wilson. Yep. Uh we saw that. We saw that in New York. I mean, why can't we see that with the Giants? Boots, as far as, as Daniel Jones go, do you think this is the ceiling season for him or do you think it's just gonna be uh, um you know, continuing to improve year over year over year. I think this is the ceiling for him. I don't think the Giants are going anywhere with this guy in the quarterback position. It's tough because, look, when he first come into the league, you saw, like like you said, Alex, the the, uh, the turf monster catching. You yeah. know, you, you've seen the turnover after turnover after turnover and bad throw and bad throw. 
and he didn't look like he was aware of what was going on around him and even in the game. But Debo comes in, and credit to Walker on this, Debo comes in, and sometimes you just need a new a new voice in the room to hear and maybe maybe the message becomes clearer that way. Yeah. Right? Now he's got the ability, but as you said, I, I, this might be the ceiling, but it's a, it's at least a better ceiling than most teams have. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I, th- I think it's it's it may very well be the ceiling, whether or not. Uh, and, you know, it's a first season with a new head coach. Yes, that's the big thing. First yes. season mm-hmm. with a new head coach and, and he performed admirably in that situation and in that scheme and in that system. So Daniel Jones is going to be uh, um, sort of assessed. And New York has said that they want to bring him back next year. This is their intention. So we're, we're going to see if, if the Giants are uh, because they if you remember, they did not pick up his fifth year option on his rookie deal this past offseason. So we're going to see whether or not the Giants are going to be able to re-sign him to a long-term deal. You know, it, the the question at that point becomes money. Is Daniel Jones going to get paid $40-plus million? And the market is sort of dictating that. I don't think he's worth anything more than, say, Kirk Cousins' money, where it's, you know, the 33 to 35 range. These are, yeah, the average range. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, we're not talking about <laughs> a 40 to $45 million quarterback. I think that's crazy talk at that point. Hey, remember when, remember when Dak said he wanted $50 million? Uh, <laughs> More on that in a second. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy talk, too. But first, let's talk about the other AFC uh, divisional round matchup. Honestly, to me, this one turned out to be the surprise of the weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. O'Bills get dominated by the Cincinnati Bengals, 27-10. to The Bengals return to their second straight AFC title game. Joe Burrow comes out, plays great ball in spite of having an offensive line that, that was filled with, with uh, injuries and, and guys that were out, you know, missing a starting guard, missing a starting tackle. I mean, he, he still came out and balled out. He 20, 23 for 36, 242, two touchdowns on the day. Joe Mixon also had himself a hell of a day. 20 carries for 105 and a touchdown. Joe Mixon, for a guy that was a top five rusher last year, hasn't been talked about enough uh, for how great he is. Um, People don't give him enough credit. I believe in Joe Mixon. I think he's a special runner. Uh, but the the Bengals get out there and they 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 dominated the Bills in every facet of this game. Boot. As far as the the Buffalo Bills go, I mean, is this it? Is the window closed? I mean, what what are we seeing here? Are they are they kaput here? <laughs> I wouldn't go so far as to say the window is closed, but it's it's definitely closing. Uh, Josh Allen. Before, as a, as a scout, uh, Emory Hunt said, before he was, from the 20 to the 20, it was an adventure, yep. right? For the first couple of years of his career, you didn't know what you were going to get to the 20. But once he got to the 20, he was laser focused and here come the touchdowns, right? Well, this past season, that kind of flipped. He was more money between the 20s. And mm-hmm. then when he got to the red zone, here come the turnover. Now, you don't want to go through two more years of that. Right, right, right. And then what are you looking at? Fifth year now he finally gets it all together. You don't want to. You don't want to do that. But they do need another receiver. <laughs> Speaking of receivers, Stephon Diggs wore a mask to the game. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. No yep. wonder Allen couldn't find it. It was, <laughs> it was a terrible man. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he made some ill-advised throws. Um, the third and two. What are you? What are you doing? Yeah. When the game was, and he's trying to forty-yard bomb to to. To Gabe Davis in the snow, Mike. Yeah, uh, some of the decision making is it's a little question, you know, question asking beha- behavior, 
And Stefan Diggs asked a lot of those questions. Yeah, Stefan Diggs, um, you know, th- this is one of those things, you know, we saw his uh, sort of freak out on the sidelines, yelling at Josh Allen, get me the damn ball, whatever. Yeah. And and on one end, I understand that Stefan Diggs is a very, very uh, competitive player. We've seen that in the past. But this is sort of the, and, and you're a Vikings fan just like I am. You know, this is sort of one of those things where we're both kind of laughing to ourselves, going, there's the Stefan Diggs I know. There's there's yep. that attitude. There's that diva that we saw that we saw on his way out. And Buffalo got to experience it for the first time. The man left the locker room after the oh, game. Yeah. He, he he didn't he didn't talk to anybody. And and on one end, you you know, you're going, I understand you're upset that you lost. I get it. You're upset that you lost. But at the same time, Stefan Diggs, this is this is that that diva shit that we saw. I mean, let's be real, it's diva shit. I mean, that's, <laughs> right, right, yeah. Damar, and Damar Hamlin comes to the locker room to galvanize you. That's supposed to be at least part of the overriding message, man. That we are still a team. Yeah, at the end of the day. Yeah, and and Diggs just it wasn't a good look for him. Um, obviously, you know, the and, and Sean McDermott went out and kind of owned this loss that he just got out coached and whatever else, and that's all fine. Right. He did get out coached, but at the end of the day, you've got a very upset diva esque receiver that is is not thrilled. One thing I do want to point out about the Buffalo Bills between their running backs, they had two running backs that went out there: Devin Singletary and James Cook. Eleven carries between the two of them. Yep. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're only, if you're going to give your runner your top runners, you know, eleven carries between the two of them, I mean, they abandoned the running game. Yeah. You know, it's, it's exactly what they hit. And you know, Stephon Diggs is not doing Stephon Diggs things. He only had four catches for thirty-five yards. Apparently, Dawson Knox was their top receiver, and he's their tight end. And you would think that the Buffalo Bills could play in the snow because that's the kind of team they are. But apparently, they can't. <laughs> you know, it's. Now, and, and the other thing I want to—I've been dying to point out—is also <clears throat> this entire playoff stretch, the Bengals have been playing pissed off. They—they—they yep. they, they feel that they've been playing like they've had a chip on their shoulder, and it all stems from the uh, league's decision after that. After the initial Bills-Bengals game was uh, suspended and ultimately canceled. Due to the Demar Hamlin situation, which thankfully resulted in, De- in Demar Hamlin, uh, you know, surviving and you know getting healthy again, but you know, but, but that situation uh, turned into okay. Well, if the if it's Chiefs Bills for the uh, AFC title, it's going to be in a neutral site, and if Cincinnati loses to Baltimore, then it's going to be a coin flip to determine where their playoff game will be. Well, Cincinnati basically said screw all of that. And bulldoze the the Baltimore Ravens, bulldoze the Buffalo Bills, and they have their sights set on Patty Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. They are angry, and it's refreshing to see. Did you notice that there was no option on if the Bengals were to win either of these games? It was all it was all Chiefs and Bills folks. Yeah, yeah, there was- that's all it was. It was oh, uh, we're definitely going to see Chiefs and Bills. <laughs> I I got a problem with that. I got some for you. Yeah, yeah. There was. It seemed like it was a foregone conclusion for a while that we were going to see Chiefs and Bills, and even to the point where I said, you know, I, my prediction was that the Buffalo Bills were going to end up in the Super Bowl. Now my my prediction wound wound up going up in smoke. 
I do agree with you, uh, Boots, that that we got to get a, a another receiver for the Buffalo Bills. That's the first thing they've got to get. But also, you know, this this running game, number one, and, and I've been talking about this for three straight seasons. Alex, you know, I, I know Tyler knew at the time. And, and I've been talking about this. They do not have a running game in Buffalo. Nope. And they, they went and got Devin Singletary out there running his ass off as the number one running back. He has no business as a number one running back in this league. I don't believe nope. in Devin Singletary. Uh, I think he's a very, very low-end running back as far as being a starter goes. Maybe a spot start backup. He reminds me of like a, an Alexander Madison more than anything. <laughs> but also, you know, they went and picked up James Cook, and I think the expectation was for him to be like his brother. But I don't think he's as good as Dalvin, I, honestly, at this point. I think James Cook... Is is sort of hitting that backup role area too here? Am I am I missing some here, Boots? No, you're not missing anything at all. Cook is uh, is more of a uh, a receiving back, and he's smaller than Dalvin actually. And and with Devin, with regard to Devin Singletary, he was very productive in college, very productive at FAU. But it, it, his game is predicated on it, it's he's a little bit more of a plotter, mm-hmm. right? There's not a whole lot of extra mm-hmm. hit up and go. With, with Devin Singletary, which is why he typically looked at as, as an RB2 type. Right. They thought they had the RB1 with Zach Moss. That That's why they drafted him and thought that he was going to be the guy, Zach Moss, out of Utah. But he ended up not working out. Now he's in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. So, again, the Buffalo still does need an A1, a, a foundational back, as uh, Greg Cosell would say. Yep, and there's going to be plenty of them out on free agency here. And and the one that, I, in my opinion, everybody that should be looking at, looking at right now, he'll be a restricted free agent this upcoming year, is uh, um, James Robinson uh, over with the New York Jets. And, and mm-hmm. not enough people yeah. are talking about him. That's the type of player that you can get really, in my opinion, on a dime. If you would offer him, say, Melvin Gordon-style money, yeah. um, you can you could get him for a reasonable price, and he's a productive runner. Don't forget, he was one of the thousand-yard rushers last season. We only had six last year. Yeah, yeah they didn't they didn't use him in Jacksonville. They didn't use him in, at the New York Jets. And you know, you you've been pounding the desk. Well, not pounding the desk, but you have you have sung his praises throughout this season on this very show that James Robinson should be getting more attention than he actually is and he could be a he could be a very good fit with the Buffalo Bills. And I think we all remember a guy by the name of Alfred Morris and and yep. Alfred Morris if you recall he had two straight seasons where he was leading the league in rushing. Alfred Morris goes to Dallas and becomes an afterthought. So so what are we doing here? You know, what well, why in the hell is a guy like James Robinson sitting on the bench? It doesn't make sense. It just doesn't when you had Reese Hall go down in New York, James Robinson should have been your guy. You know, and, and when Travis Etienne went down last year, they expected Travis Etienne to be the guy. Everybody said, what about Travis Etienne? Oh, yeah, well, he's gone. Well, who, who are we going to put in? Guess who stepped in? James Robinson came out and played some of the best ball of his career before the Achilles injury, obviously. But I like James Robinson, and I think that's a guy that everybody should be focused on. I like James Robinson a lot, too. It was because of his ability and his that the Jacksonville Jaguars were able to wave bye-bye to uh, Uncle Lenny, mm-hmm. as they call him, yep. Fournette. So James Robinson they did nothing wrong to to lose the starting running back position and then Jacksonville did nothing, didn't ask to be traded, and then didn't ask to be healthy scratched for multiple weeks. I mean, the Jets had something there with that guy, but they just refused to use him for whatever reason. Whoever gets James Robinson will have an excellent running back 
who who is capable of, of carrying the load. Yeah, and and I think the Buffalo Bills are going to be going to be kind of licking their wounds in the offseason and trying to figure out what in the hell they can do to beat the thing. Now now it's not just absolving the, the demon or, or defeating the demon that is the Kansas City Chiefs. It's now defeating the demon that is the Cincinnati Bengals as well. Uh, the Bengals had their number all game long. The defense looked great all game long. That Bengals defense has been underrated all year. That pass rush has been insane. Um, the Bengals, man, they move on to the AFC title game, and they have a showdown, a rematch with the Kansas City Chiefs, who they are currently, as it stands, Joe Burrow, I believe, is 3-0 and against this Kansas City Chiefs team. Uh They've, they've got Patty Mahomes' number and, and, and Travis Kelsey's number. They've got the Chiefs' number here. Andy Reid has struggled to, to beat out the Cincinnati Bengals. The AFC title game is going to be an exciting one uh, tomorrow. And also the last game of this, this uh, little home stretch here, the Niners go out and beat the Cowboys. I predicted this game was going to be a snoozer, and it was, in fact, a defensive snoozer. The Niners yep. win 19-12. to um, boring game. Uh, Brock Purdy. I also predicted that Brock Purdy would have a come down to earth game. And guess what? Brock Purdy had a come back to earth game in this. He was not the world beater that everybody wants to proclaim him. He only went 19 for 29 for 214 yards, no touchdowns. He didn't throw any interceptions. It was mistake free football. But Brock Purdy was not the story here. He got bailed out by a lot of skill, uh, uh, his skill positions. Uh, yep. Bailed out by George Kittle. He got bailed out by Elijah Mitchell. He got bailed out by by Debo Samuel. He got bailed out by Christian McCaffrey. Those guys bailed him out, including the George Kittle circus catch that we saw. What a catch. Boots, what do you make? Uh, he got bailed out by another guy. Purdy got bailed out by Dak Prescott. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Caution comes with choking hazard. Oh and uh, and um, Dalton Schultz, if if you uh, want to split hairs. Yep. First so. possessions, it was uh, the first three. San Francisco punted on their first possession. Dallas punted on theirs. San Francisco punted again. And then Dallas turned the ball over. Yep. Interception, Dak Prescott, I don't know where he was throwing the ball to, but that was an early tipping point in the game. Yeah. And, and you can't have that in the playoffs. On the road, big-time players make big-time plays in big-time games, and Prescott did not. Yeah, Prescott struggled in this game. And, and it's funny, Alex, you were talking about a, you know, the fact that at one point Dak Prescott did want $50 million a year. It was the silliest shit we'd ever heard. We mm-hmm. laughed on this show. I said, hell no, I would not pay that man that type of money. I thought he was asking far too much for a guy that really hadn't done shit. I mean, let's face it, he hadn't done anything for a while. Uh, Dak Prescott, 23 for 37 in this game, 206 yards, a touchdown, two picks. Uh, and and C.D. Lamb went out there and, and played his heart out. This was not the same Dallas team that we saw last week. A lot of people, and and yeah, i got to point out, this is why I can't handle Dallas Cowboy fans. <laughs> Dallas Cowboy fans were over here talking about Dak Prescott being a top-four quarterback, maybe even nope. a three quarterback, even though – he missed a stretch of games and still led the league in interceptions. It just doesn't make sense. Um, I am not a Dak Prescott advocate. I think he can be great at times. He has his flashes, but he's very streaky. Uh, th- this is what I- I've grown to expect. And he ran into a very strong, very tough 49ers defense that dominates 
people. I mean, this this is what, what the 49ers defense is known for. They're the best defense in the league for a reason. And they're the best remaining defense in this playoff. I mean, yeah. the, the, the 49ers slapped around Dallas Cowboys. And, and Dak Prescott... He, you are absolutely right, Boots. He he went out here and and you know uh, really just screwed his entire team over. And one guy that I want to point out that underperformed as well, Zeke Elliott, ten yep. carries, twenty six yards, only a two point six average on the day. This was his worst year statistically, and he reminds everybody that yeah, I'm I'm kind of falling off a little bit here, right? Yeah, there was a there was a stretch there where Zeke was one of the best in the league for what two years and and it's slowly worn away now jerry jones is fully behind the guy but you know that the aura of, of the zeke the aura starting to fade yeah and another thing it was like going back to that press guy real quick at the end of the game they were still in it right <laughs> they had an opportunity and it was like with five minutes left it was like somebody gave Dak prescott an entirely new playbook that he had never seen before because he was he was throwing some passes that I, I just what what were you looking at brother mm-hmm. I, I didn't see it how did how did you not see the the linebacker there that nearly intercepted how did you not see some of the things that anyway um yeah well then the one the one thing I want to point out too is that very last drive where you got less than a minute no timeouts and you got to go 80 yards all right so what is so what does homeboy do? He throws a pass to Dalton Schultz to the to the to the sideline. Well, Dalton Schultz takes a back step and then gets out of bounds, and the clock keeps running. So you you just chewed up a whole bunch of clock. You got to race up to the line and spike the ball, and that's exactly. I mean, it, it wasn't how it ended this time, but you know, you as you recall, Dallas's season ended on a very similar situation. The ref got in the way. They didn't place the ball quickly enough. Dak went to spike the ball, but the clock expired. Yeah, so you know you almost saw the exact same thing happen in this game. And then Dalton Schultz catches, a, makes a catch, but doesn't keep both of his feet in bounds. So you're back to the 26. So it's five seconds to go, and you got one shot at the end zone. Do you throw a hail mary? Do you, you know, try to you know, split out? You know your the, the defense and try to get a deep ball? No. He, he checks down to a receiver in the middle of the field, and the San Francisco 49ers player, I don't know who it was, but wrapped him up immediately. It was a carbon copy of how the Minnesota Vikings pissed away their season. No offense. But it, I mean, it's, like I've, this is like, it's like the second playoff game that I've seen that it ended in a questionable check down. I'm like, what are we doing here? Two minutes left, or whatever. You know, when quarterbacks, when when you're a kid at at the quarterback position, you're always looking at that last two minutes of the game, right? Yep. Two minutes left. We're we're down by such and such, and I gotta score. That's every quarterback's dream scenario. You practice it every single practice. Two minute offense. Two minute drill. Time management. The Cowboys just lack time management. They had it. But the, it, Mike McCarthy needs to be called out too, yeah, for for his lack of time management, and that that's been a problem for them for the last couple of seasons. Yeah, we we've seen that out of Mike McCarthy uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, the lack of time management, like you said, bad clock management, 
the inability to to you know handle the clock effectively and, and get your team downfield in those two minute drills and and two, oh hey Michael Gallup just showed up to the game yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah where's he been this whole season everybody thought that that he was going to be the big number two they need it they do need a true number two receiver over there because T Y Hilton isn't going to be it Noel Brown's not going to be it he played like number two right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> When it comes to Dalton Schultz, you know, Alex, you bring up a great point. Dalton Schultz had a great year. All year long, Dalton Schultz has been been fantastic. Not only did he have a bad game in this game, in spite of the fact that he got in the end zone, he had five receptions for 27 yards, but he was the defining factor in that drive, just going straight to hell in a handbasket. Uh, he, he catches the ball, steps back, goes out of bounds, clock keeps running. He catches a ball, doesn't watch his feet, one, one inbounds, the other one goes right out of bounds. That's it, reps, that's drills, that's practice. Right. And Dalton Schultz, I, I mean, not one, but two bad plays in a row that, that caused that drive to just die. And, and you know, to be in that, that weird situation where, you know, Dak's got, you know, eight guys out wide and all this other craziness. Yeah. Um, but, but at the end of the day, Throw it to Cavante Turpin? Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. No disrespect, Cavante Turpin, but it's Cavante Turpin. Yeah, I don't He's know. He's the punt return guy. He's the kick return guy. Send him out long. Send, yeah. send him out to the end zone for the deep ball. He's so fast. It yeah. just it doesn't make sense. But the Cowboys, they dropped this one to the Niners. Niners advance to the NFC title game against the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, exciting conference championship matchups. I mean, I, I'm, I'm actually pretty excited for Conference Championship Sunday. I always get excited. It's a very good time. Um, I'm going to be sitting down eating some nachos for that one and just uh, putting my fat kid pants on. So that that's going to be a good time. Um, now, moving forward, we, we do have some, some news around the league, uh, particularly for those Conference Championship games. Uh, we'll, we'll start with the AFC title game. We got some injury stuff going on. The Chiefs, man. Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes. Did suffer that high ankle sprain in the first half of the divisional round matchup versus the Jags. Uh, he does return after halftime. He will start versus the Bengals despite the injury. However, one guy, well, two guys that possibly won't be starting, and these are huge, Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey is officially is questionable versus the game versus the Bengals with a back injury. And wide receiver Mecole Hardman is listed as questionable for the game versus the Bengals due to a pelvis injury. Hey, the, and and also, I mean, I I just want to point out here, Kadarius Tony was a little banged up in that game too. I mean, it, this is the Chiefs are against the ropes here, right? They're out, they're on the ropes when it comes to the Cincinnati Bengals team that already owns them. You know, three games to none, Alex. When it comes to the the Chiefs, I mean, it, are are is it looking bad for them right now? I mean, do you think they're going to be toast? It is looking bad. I'm not saying they're toast. Not quite yet. I got to see the game first. But if Travis Kelsey does not make it onto the field, it's going to be an uphill battle. Because, again, the Cincinnati Bengals are playing with a chip on their shoulder. Even though their offensive line has been much maligned this whole season, that offensive line came together and gave Joe Mixon running lanes. And that defense hammered teams. And and we know that the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, their offense is very prolific. But, you know, they're not world beaters when it comes to the offensive line, you know. Uh, I, you know I, I think that it's just going to be a battle of passers uh, plus Joe Mixon. 
So, you know, we're, we're going to be we're, we're looking at these big name quarterbacks. We're looking at, you know, the Patty Mahomes versus Joe Burrow debates. But really, uh, Travis Kelsey can be an X factor for the Chiefs. And if he's not there, it's going to be a problem. Yeah, the, the Chiefs right now. And, and one one guy that I think that that is exciting on that offensive line is Creed Humphrey, who last year was our rookie of the year. He was the best offensive lineman in all of football. So he was he was our show rookie of the year. So keep an eye on him. He's going to be playing a huge factor in this game. Um, do you think the Chiefs are cooked, Mr. Uh, Boots, here? Hmm. Uh, 3-0 and the last three. And those games have been where? Kansas City. Kansas City. There you go. Yep. That tells you all you need to know. Joe Burrow is as cool and as calculating as a quarterback I've ever seen. And while Patrick Mahomes, when all his glory and all of the the, the crazy off platform passes and and what he does is special, there, you know, no doubt. If he's compromised and Kelsey is compromised, I don't think that they can beat this Bengals team with those receivers that they have. I know you guys, you really like Miko Harbin and and Kadarius Tony and 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 Smith Schuster and and I don't see it. If I'm Jackson, but not far be it from me to to uh, these co- NFL coaches work very hard, right? So far be it from me to to. Why aren't you double teaming Travis Kelsey? Yep. <laughs> and I mean, if if Mahomes is already compromised and they're using Jerick McKinnon more as a blocker, why are you not double teaming Travis Kelsey? Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think. Uh, Travis Kelsey is, is obviously their biggest weapon. Um, and, and when it comes to, and I'm, I'm just taking a look at the, the stats for Juju Smith-Schuster, I, much, I wasn't sure if he did break 1,000 this year. Um, uh, he, he has had himself a, a decent season, if I'm not mistaken, uh, 933 yards on the year. So, I mean, he, he did have himself a decent season. One, one number I want to point out is not a lot of end zone touches there. He only had three touchdowns on the season. Um, that's the way to do it is it right. to, to stop Patrick Mahomes. And one thing I want to point out about the Kansas City Chiefs that, that I, I think is kind of interesting is, to me, if, if it was me and I was the Cincinnati Bengals, I would be bringing corner blitzes all day long with Mike Hilton and coming off the edge. That's what I would be doing in that situation. I yeah. would bring nonstop corner blitzes and harass yeah. Patrick Mahomes all day long. Because like yeah. you said, when he's compromised, that is how you beat the Kansas City Chiefs, and that's how you're gonna you're gonna cause Patrick Mahomes to have to make those circus throws and all yeah. those you know those little flip outs and whatever else. It, he's a um, he's a special player, but if you harass him and you take away a guy like Travis Kelsey and you took take a guy like for example Mike Hilton who ran corner blitzes all game long last game against the Buffalo Bills, and that's how they harassed Josh Allen all game long. Mm-hmm. You know it. I think that would be smart on the end of the Bengals to do that. Um, that's how you beat them. That's how you're going to have to beat the Chiefs. And the Chiefs' defense isn't anything to write home about. It hasn't been for quite some time, right? Right. Recently, in recent memory, right, the Chiefs, uh, the defense always comes alive in the playoffs, right? Steve Spagnuolo always does an excellent job, and they're getting after the quarterback. But yep. they have always given up big yardage and big plays, mm-hmm. even in this run that they've had. It's, it's just what they do. So if you want to do that to Joe Burrow and, and, and Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and, and Joe Mixon and Hayden Hurst now coming on and Tyler Boyd, let's not forget. Mm-hmm. 
uh, then yeah, solid number three, right? You're gonna you're gonna have a lot of problems. And let's also point out Hayden Hurst. You you mentioned him. He has been noticeable in the back half of this yeah. season. Yeah, very noticeable after the injury. Oh yeah, comes back. Yeah, Hayden Hurst. Um, and and it was kind of funny when he got drafted. I busted Tyler's balls because he got drafted to Baltimore. Um, and, and when he got drafted, Tyler was on the show and he was singing his praises as the greatest tight end in the universe. And, and Hayden Hurst came on to the Baltimore Ravens and stunk ever since he's gone to Cincinnati. He has been a different type of tight end. He has been something special. There's been an intensity there. Yeah. Um, he's played some of the best football I've, I, and, and the type of football that I ever expected to see out of him. And that's what, that's what this Cincinnati offense needed was a tight end like him who could who can catch the ball, but he can still block. Don't don't get it twisted. Mm-hmm. But getting open and catching the football, especially in the red zone, dangerous. Yeah, and they're going to need some of his blocking talents moving into this game. The Bengals do have they're all, two guys that have been out for the last couple of games. They're going to be out for this one, too. Offensive guard Alex Kappa, offensive tackle Jonah Williams, both of those guys out with injuries. Uh, Williams has a knee injury. Kappa's got an ankle injury. You know, I'm, I like the uh, – I like the Bengals in this game, but man, ha- not having those guys and knowing how the Chiefs and, like you said, Steve Spagnolo likes to bring those blitzes and get to the quarterback in Frank the playoffs. Clark. Yep, Frank Clark's going to be having himself some fun over here. He's going to bring that, bring the pain on old Joe Burrow without those uh, those offensive linemen in the game. Uh, moving over to the NFC title game, let's talk about this 49ers team. They have some stuff going on too. First and foremost, running back Elijah Mitchell, who's been having himself a really nice stretch along the back part of the season back end he's listed as questionable for the nfc title game versus the eagles he's got a groin injury yep and then also the niners corner aubrey thomas uh he has an ankle injury he's also listed as questionable um first of all aubrey thomas we'll start there he's a key part to that that niners defense He's been a great corner for them. Uh, a lot of his work has come in the slot, but he has actually done some excellent work for them uh, in coverage. The Niners' defense, do you think they're going to be affected by that? Uh, who's going to cover if he can't play? Who covers A.J. Brown? Who covers Devontae Smith? We could be seeing ourselves an interestingly high-scoring game versus a very good 49ers defense. Do you think that's the case? Uh, Alex, what do you got? Well, uh, you still have uh, Nick Bosa. You still have, you know, uh, well, the Force Buckner's not on that team anymore. Greenlaw um, is over there. Yeah, Greenlaw is over there, as long as he can stay healthy, because he we saw him go down a couple times. Kinlaw's uh, gone down a few times, but Kinlaw is a – he hits quarterbacks. That's what he yeah. does. I mean, that's his job. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's funny that they, they use him in the way he does. they do, because you would expect him to either be a run stuffer or – no, 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 no. Quarterbacks. That's your <laughs> – and, and 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 that's what they're going to do. They're they're going to need to get after Jalen Hurts. So uh, I don't think it's going to be too much of a panic. They're going to need all the help they can get, obviously. But I still think that that the 49ers defense can somehow find a way to plug the hole to halt the offense of uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. And, and uh, you know, so I'm not as concerned uh, with. Obviously, yes, it's it's a problem, but it's not a it's not a world stopping problem. Right. Uh, Boots, Elijah Mitchell listed as questionable with that groin injury. Are you? That's, that's a that's a problem too, but not a big one. Are you nervous for this 49ers team, or do you think Christian McCaffrey's got this under control? I mean, well, Christian McCaffrey's dealing with some 
sort of calf thing. Well, mm-hmm. at, least, at least he was last week. And, yep. you know, now he's going to be going on the road and it's a little cold in Philly, I heard. Mm-hmm. So, and anytime you're going in with any kind of possible injury, a little tweak or whatever, it's going to, it's going to affect you. And if you've got two running backs that are dealing with stuff, that's going to affect that offense very much. Uh, going back to what you guys were just speaking on with the uh, 49ers defense, with Ambry Thomas out, yeah, he, the 49ers say if there's any weakness to the 49ers defense, it is the secondary. Yes. And you've looked over the last two weeks, C.D. Lamb just got him. D.K. Metcalf got him. And now they're going on the road, and now you got to go against Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown. I think the receivers for the Eagles will have a, a pretty good game. Yeah, they, they could very well have a field day in this game. And then they also, the Niners have a distraction currently going on off the field as well. Uh-oh. Their 49ers defensive coordinator, D'Amico Ryans, has emerged as the front runner for the Houston Texans head coaching job, which very, <laughs> it's a limited situation. Um, D'Amico Ryans is a damn good defensive coordinator. He is. But I think he's going to a dumpster fire over there uh, in Houston. Um, I can smell it from here. Look, I have yeah. I I have gone on record on this show, and Alex, you have too. And and this is look, I think that this man is being set up to fail. Um, and and I have said this about the Houston Texans in the past that I think they are, and I'm I'm going to be frank with you, they are the most racist organization in all of football. <laughs> And and I yeah. think that setting this poor guy up to fail, he is a tremendous defensive coordinator that people have been looking at for a head coach for a long, long time. And the Houston Texans are a complete mess. They need a new quarterback. They need all kinds of work. Um, their defense is a shit show. I mean, real. I mean, Boots, where where are you at on going here? I think I think it's a good hire, but they're going to have to give the man time. This can't be one of these one and done situations like we've seen over the last two seasons out of the Houston Texans coaching staff, right? Well, at least he's younger than than David Culley and and Lovey Smith, right? Yeah, so yeah. he'd have a little bit more of a future in the NFL after they fire him. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, still still call still calling him to pull the trigger after the first season, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah just make sure the check cashes, Nico. Yeah, <laughs> yep. Excellent defensive coordinator, by the way. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's he's done amazing things over there with that 49ers defense. Uh, something special, Alex. I mean, do you think that this man winds up as the head coach of the Houston Texans? I think I think it's kind of leaning that way. I think we should see a hire by probably just after the NFC title game. Yep, I mean, especially if if San Francisco falls to the Eagles, I mean, I would not be surprised the very next day to find out that uh, the te- the Texans got their new head coach. Yeah. But um, you know, I think it's a tremendous opportunity. But as you said, I mean, this is this team is owned by an owner that has absolutely no idea what the concept of Norton, of modern football is, because he's not outside of the Jim Crow era. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, we joke about it, but you you get what I'm talking about. I mean, if this guy is continuously, you know, got his head in the sand as as regards to black coaches and black defensive coordinators and and you know black, um, you know. Quarterbacks. quarterbacks in the league, you know, take a look at Deshaun Watson. That that whole that whole debacle, you know, and to, not to not to say that Deshaun Watson is faultless. He's he's got plenty of faults of his own. But the point is, 
you know, this Houston Texans team, unless unless the owner can pull his head out of the sand, I think is due for quite a few more uh, top tier first round picks. Yeah, I agree. I think they're they're headed for for top five pick central for a while. I think oh, yeah. that's where they're going. But uh, the D'Amico Ryan's out there getting. I mean, he's it's looking like he's likely to become the head coach over there. Um, also, we've got some some crazy hirings going on. Uh, first of all, Panthers hire former head coach Frank Reich as the oh, head. Oh boy. He was fired by the Colts midway through the 2022 season. Um, you know, I remember the the movie Draft Day. I re- this is kind of one of those situations where I think he was just a bad babysitter. That's yeah. kind of what it comes down to with the Colts. Uh, you know, they they kept he kind of got screwed by this veteran quarterback thing they were doing, all oh, bringing this quarterback, let's do this, let's do that. Um, but realistically, I, I think Frank Reich, um, I, I think he was a bad babysitter. You know, he, he wound up getting that job and he wasn't very good for the job. I, I don't think Frank Reich is that good of a head coach. I think he, he failed the Colts on several levels here. Uh, Absolutely. And, you know, it's one thing when you led, uh, at the time, uh, the greatest comeback in, in playoff history with the Buffalo Bills, but that's when he was a player. Uh, here's a coach. I'm like, uh, it's it's definitely a different ball of wax. I mean, Steve Wilkes has reported that he is disappointed, uh, but not defeated after being passed over uh, for the head coaching job at Carolina. Uh, there was there was no mention of a potential discrimination lawsuit like the one Wilkes filed against the NFL after being fired by the Arizona Cardinals after one season. Although the law firm that represents Wilkes responded Thursday to Reich's hiring by saying that there is a legitimate race problem in the NFL and it would have more to say in the coming days. So I think Steve Wilkes uh, would have been a much better choice over Frank Reich simply because of the fact, just look, look at what we saw with the Indianapolis Colts. We had Matt Ryan, you know, a surefire Hall of Fame quarterback, you know, yeah, he didn't. He he had the tremendous twenty-eight to three collapse in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. He had the. He is now part of the biggest comeback in NFL history, uh, dropping thirty-three points on the Minnesota Vikings defense, uh, thirty-six, and then the Vikings score thirty-nine just to win at the very last minute. Uh, so you know, how do you how do you how do you blow a thirty-three nothing lead at halftime? How, how? And you're hiring this guy to coach the Carolina Panthers who themselves are misaligned. I mean, we have, you know, I'm worried about Dante Foreman and Chubba Hubbard because, you know, that's a, that was a dual threat running system. You know, when Christian McCaffrey left Dante Foreman grabbed the fork and knife and he just mowed down steak. Now, is he going to get fed guppies? Is he going to get fed Brussels sprouts? What are we looking at here? You know, and I'm not too worried about that per se. I thought Frank Reich actually utilized uh, Jonathan Taylor. You remember last year he led the league in rushing. So, I mean, I, I'm not as worried about, about Dante Foreman's workload. I do think Dante Foreman is going to continue to eat. But I, I do think Wilkes would have been better for the position. It seemed like uh, Foreman did have, a, and the team itself, had a better rapport with Wilkes as the interim. Um, so, I mean, that, that's it's interesting to see that, that Wilkes didn't, he did get passed over for the job. I think uh, Frank Reich is just kind of a silly hire at this point. Just seems dumb to me at, at this point. I, I got to be real. It's just it's dumb. <laughs> some, some coaches are better off being coordinators yes could this be an, a deal with frank wright who had tremendous success as the as the oc for the eagles 
when they defeated the Patriots a few years back. Is he just an offensive coordinator? Could that question be legitimately asked? Because it could possibly be. And there are plenty of OCs and DCs who just should be what they are. You know, not everyone is cut out to be a head coach. Yeah, and and I actually 110% agree with you there. I think Frank Reich is more of an offensive coordinator kind of guy. And that's kind of where I'm where we're headed, you know, and, and we're seeing a few of those guys who got head coaching gigs that got canned. A lot of them are coming into new roles as offensive coordinators, defensive yeah. coordinators. We, we just and, and I'll talk about it right now. The the um, I'm sorry it, and about, about Steve Wilkes. Sorry. When players respond to you and, and the way you're coaching them. And that means something, or at least it should mean something to these people who, who make these hires. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it can't be overstated that team chemistry, and when you have that symmetry and chemistry with the players and the coaches, that cannot be uh, just thrown to the side while you're making this new hire. That's the Lions. If team chemistry and coach symmetry, ask them mm-hmm. a Ben Johnson was offered plenty of jobs mm-hmm. as the OC for the Lions to go be a head coach somewhere. He stayed. Yep. Yep. And that and that's a boon to the Lions organization. I mean that that just cements the fact that okay, here we go, round two. Here, you know what what we should we should expect nothing less than at the very least an NFC Championship berth. Yeah, I with, I with with the offense that we have, and if we build our defense properly, playoffs is 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 should be a I mean, okay, I'm going to be bold. <laughs> I might, this might bite me in the ass later. Uh, it should be a foregone conclusion that playoff that you know playoffs should be a foregone conclusion, and that you know we should strive for at least an NFC title appearance. Yeah, and and I I would agree with you there. I think the Lions are kind of on the fast track for that, but um, we're seeing a lot of we're seeing certain coordinators understand their role, you know, yep. and, and kind of understand where they need to be. Ben Johnson, for example, I think he understands his role currently. Right. Offensive coordinator for the Lions. They're building towards something. And I think he understands that he's going to wind up getting himself a bigger payday if that Lions team goes deeper in the playoffs than whatever, you know, than than uh, what they've currently done, you know, and they great. They got their winning season. The Lions are improving. I expect them to have a hot team next year. That's my expectation. But there are other coaches and, and coordinators that understand that. Former Cowboys defensive coordinator and former Falcons head coach. Dan Quinn has informed teams that, that he interviewed with that he's going to remain the Cowboys defensive coordinator due to, quote-unquote, unfinished business. After being eliminated in the divisional round versus the 49ers, he had previously interviewed with Arizona, Denver, and Indianapolis. Dan Quinn is a textbook example mm. of bad head coach, Great defensive coordinator, right? He was in Seattle, right? Uh, he was with that. He was the head coach in Atlanta. I think he was the defensive coordinator in Seattle for a little while. Right, yeah, he was the DC in, C- in Seattle. Then he goes to Atlanta and becomes the head coach. Yep. And now he's back to exactly. Yeah. That, that just proves my point. And what's funny about it is, is Tyler and I sat on this show when he got hired on as the the Cowboys defensive coordinator, and we laughed because we said, "Well, man, Atlanta has had crappy defenses for the last couple of years that Dan Quinn was there." Right. And he showed everybody and reminded everybody, yeah. hey, I'm a damn good defensive coordinator. Maybe, Don't you forget it. Maybe it wasn't the scheme. Maybe it was the players. Yeah, and, and <laughs> he's proven that. You know, he's proven that it's been the players. 
Cowboys also have other stuff going on with their their coordinators, uh, their offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore, who I love. I like Kellen Moore a lot. He's a former Detroit Lion, by the way. He inter- He's interviewing for coaching jobs. Uh, head coach Mike McCarthy says that Moore will be evaluated just like every other coach on this staff. I guess his, his uh, position as the offensive coordinator is sort of up in the air. I think Kellen Moore is a damn good offensive coordinator. I think that a lot of the problems with the Cowboys offense falls on Dak Prescott at this point and his inability to effectively get the football out. Um, you know, I, get the ball to the right guy at the right time. Yeah. Yep. And the Cowboys, they, they did have uh, um, some problems. They also had an, a problem with uh, injuries in that game against the 49ers, by the way, Tony Pollard did suffer a broken leg and a high ankle sprain versus the 49ers in that division around loss as well. You know, I, I do think Kellen Moore, um, he, he's a special coordinator. I do think he's going to be a head coach in the NFL one day. I, re- I really believe that. He's a young guy. He's in a great offensive mind. He's one of those guys where he transitioned to being a coach or an offensive coordinator, and he's better as an offensive coordinator than he was as a player. You know, and, yep. and some yeah. guys, you know, like they, the people who can't do teach is the, yeah. you know, that's what they always yeah. say. Yeah. And that's kind of where we're at with with Kellen Moore. Uh, Alex, Kellen Moore, do you like him as a possible head coach? Do you think he stays in Dallas? What do you believe? I would think that if if you sit down and think about it, I mean, he poss- who who's who is he possibly interviewing with? Uh, I think he's been interviewing, if I'm not mistaken, he's interviewed in Denver, and I think he's also he's been interested in the Arizona job as well. Well, um, he might he might be a good fit in Denver. I mean, Nathaniel Hackett was, was clearly not the solution. Yeah. Um, we could run into another problem where Russ cooks another horrible meal every week, and you know, and year two of that atrocious five year deal. Uh, where we basically were except we're expecting prime rib, and we ended up getting uh, spam and spaghettios. Um, so we got to throw in the Russell Wilson rib there. Uh, but you know, if, if, when push comes to shove, you know, um, Kellen Moore might himself have unfinished business in Dallas, and he may choose uh, as well to stay with Dallas uh, for the same reason uh, that the defensive coordinator stayed, be- uh, Dan Quinn, because he has unfinished business in Dallas. Yeah, I think the likelihood of Kellen Moore honestly sticking around there, it it's sort of the, the Kellen Moore train kind of slowed down a little bit as far as because everybody last year, if you remember, everybody was talking about this kid's gonna be a special head coach in this league. Everybody kept kept talking. He was he was a hot name for a while. Even in the Vikings head coach search, he was a hot name. Um and and Detroit was looking at him at one point as a as a potential head coaching candidate. I I mean, a lot of teams were were taking a look at him. This year, not as many. He hasn't gotten as many interviews, and, and it's been uh, kind of interesting. He's, I think he's only had one or two interviews throughout the league. Um, I do think he's a special offensive coordinator, but, I I mean, Boots, how bad do you think that this loss to the Niners really affected his interviews and the amount of people that are looking at Kellen Moore as a potential head coach? What was the final score? Uh, 19 to 12. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, we, uh, I, I, I really think Kellen Moore should probably stick around with the Cowboys yeah. one more time. Yeah. See if he can. Jerry he can Jones likes him. Yeah, he does. And, and I like him. I think he's a good player, a uh, good player. I'm not a good player, good coach, rather good offensive coordinator. Um, also interesting hire going on here. So I know we give him crap for the job he did in Denver, 
But as an offensive coordinator, he was good. And the Jets go out and hire former Denver head coach, Green Bay offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett as their new offensive coordinator. And they also went out and hired the, I love this hire. They went out and hired the former Titans offensive line coach, Keith Carter, as their offensive line coach and run game coordinator. Now, this Mm. is the guy that helped Derrick Henry get all those yards and look damn good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. There you go. I That's mean, interesting. Hire and then the Nathaniel Hackett deal. I just want to point out here. So the Packers are reportedly interested in dealing uh, Aaron Rodgers, but they are only willing to deal him to an AFC team. Is my understanding. And guess what? Aaron Rodgers. Guess who Aaron Rodgers was singing the praises of this past uh, off season was Mr. Nathaniel Hackett. And <laughs> Hackett's now the offensive coordinator. You might see Aaron Rodgers' career go very parallel to one Brett Favre, where Brett Favre went to the New York Jets, if you remember. Um, You may see Aaron Rodgers in a Jets uniform next year. I mean, what's the likelihood of that, Boots? What do you think? Uh, If Hackett is there and then they go get the uh, offensive line coach Carter, that means they're trying to solidify and protect somebody that they think can get the ball to their receivers mm-hmm. consistently. Yep. And sorry, Zach Wilson. Uh, <laughs> right. And if I'm the Packers, yeah, there's no way in the world I'm going to put Aaron Rodgers in the NFC, please. Yeah, so I, I see this being exactly what you were alluding to mm-hmm. here and, and, and reading the tea leaves, as they say. Yes. Yeah. I, I think we're, we're headed toward a, a – pro- I think it's – you know, when we're talking about Vegas bets, I think the front runner right here, where Aaron Rodgers could wind up, the New York Jets. Yeah. And you you might very and it's not like they don't have a good team over there. The Jets, Alex was just talking about it earlier. Yeah. We'll talk about it again. The Jets had one of the best rookie classes out of any team mm-hmm. in the entire NFL. They had on our top ten rookies, they had not one, not two, but three players yeah. on our top ten. So I mean, and and including the guy who was our rookie of the year for this show in sauce Gardner. So, I mean, it's mm-hmm. yeah. And, I mean, and not just rookie of the year, but the number one quarter cornerback in all of the league. Yeah. He was the best corner in all of football this year, just, according to pro football focus. Just, it was like, what made Deion Sanders great? Intercepting the ball? No, mm-hmm. it was the fact that you didn't even want to throw to his side of the field. Bingo. Bingo. And and if you look at what Sauce Gardner did in a lot of those games and most of those games, it would be like, oh, yeah, catch happened early. And then after that, there was nothing. nothing. So, I mean, like he'd, he'd give up one for like 16 yeah. yards. I and just then, want to see what you got. OK, now I know how I can defend. You. Yeah. And, and after that, it was OK. Well, the rest of the game, he's going to throw the ball your way four times mm-hmm. and you're not going to catch any of them. Mm. And so that's how good Sauce Gardner turned out sauce. to be for the Jets. The sauce. We love him around here. Um, he was our, our rookie of the year on the show. He was the best corner in football. He beat out a guy. And I'm going to take my quick little victory lap here. I talked about it last week. And I got some hell on Twitter for making a, a deal out of this. Kyle Hamilton was by Pro Football Focus. When we did our original ratings, he was the number seven safety in all of football. He finishes the year as the number one safety in all of football as a rookie. Man, so Baltimore just knows what they're doing, right? Yeah. So I and and I got all kinds of hell on Twitter about this, about this, and about me taking my victory lap that yes, Kyle Hamilton is better than Lewis Seen. Thank you. Um <laughs> he but, is. 
but a lot of people, you know, and, and I got hell because I said, and, and I talked about it last week on the show. I'll say it again. I got hell because I said, well, you know, in, in availability and reliability, we've talked about on the show, scene was not available, nor was he reliable. Um, and he was not good when he played, uh, for us. He couldn't learn the playbook. He got beat out by Josh Metellus. He got beat out by, by, um, Cam Bynum, both of which are not good. Metellus is a, a, what a former sixth round backup. And, and we're talking about Cam Bynum, who was a fourth round career backup, who, who played three spot starts last year and everybody thought was going to be a world beater. And he wasn't, I mean, I don't think much of Lewis seen. I haven't thought much of Lewis Seen. Everybody's willing to give him a pass for bad play and not being able to learn the defense because, oh, he got hurt. And I understand his leg got mangled, and, and you know, I I get it. He got hurt. But at the same time, I'm not going to normalize this behavior where we're going, oh, well, he sucked on the field, but, nah, no big deal. He got hurt. I mean, no. give him a pass. No, because no. he still sucked. Once you, <laughs> see, if, if you're, I've always said that if you're hurt that bad, don't step on the field. Mm-hmm. When you step on the field, we're expecting a certain level of play. Yep. Okay. So w- once you once you, you can't have you can't have it both ways. You can't say, "Oh, well, I was hurt. I was out here, but I was hurt." Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's got to either be you're on the field and we can count on you, or you're not, and yep. we don't. And for that amount of time in that off season where he was hurt, mm-hmm. and and you would think that he would learn the playbook, you know, mm-hmm. and and obviously mm-hmm. he he wasn't able to learn it. Uh, more than than uh, Cam Bynum and Josh Metellus. So, but I did take my victory lap on Kyle Hamilton and got all kinds of hell on Twitter about that. <laughs> did you the, break a sweat? Oh, buddy, I <laughs> I got flamed on that so bad. I mean, they just they they dumped lighter fluid on me and set me on fire. I was public enemy number one for about a good forty eight hours there. Um, so, uh, all the the Twitter folks, you don't worry. I actually and and again. I, I say this all the time on here when things like this go on on Twitter. My mistake being on that hellhole of a social media. <laughs> yep. My mistake for that. Uh, since then, my Twitter account has been deleted. I have it's just oh, such a negative smart, smartest move you've ever made. At, at a certain point, you just can't do it anymore. I just said, "Out of hell with this place. This is awful." There, uh, are, there are far too many people with no brains, two thumbs, and 140 characters. It's yep. it's absolutely toxic, and it's even worse ever since Elon Musk took over. Yeah, yeah, it's gotten even worse. So I mean, it's it's a mess. But um, and also speaking of Jets coordinators, uh, yep. the, the Rams hire former Jets offensive coordinator Mike Lafleur as their new OC just one week after he parts ways with the Jets. You know, Lafleur didn't get enough credit with the with the Jets for how capable he was in spite of bad quarterback play. Um, this is obviously uh, Matt Lafleur's brother. Um, and, and he winds up going over to the Rams. I think it's actually a pretty good pickup. And also the Rams right now, believe it or not, former Cardinals head coach Cliff Kingsbury is becoming a candidate to join the Rams coaching staff as Sean McVay has announced that he's staying put with the Rams as the head coach after previously attempting stepping down and retiring. So Cliff Kingsbury potentially joining the Sean McVay coaching staff that could be interesting. I'm actually kind of here for this. Uh, Alex, what do you say about it? Well, uh, this last season when Kevin O'Connell was uh, left for Minnesota, the offense fell apart completely. We saw it in game one with the Bills. We've seen it throughout the entire season. And I'm going to keep the streak going. What does Matthew Stafford need before long? He needs Tommy John. 
Yep, he needs Tommy John. And uh, then Baker, you know, uh, then, you know, Baker Mayfield came in. We thought he was going to save the day. And he's proven to be the Baker Mayfield we all know and loathe, you know. Uh, you know, whether it's bo- booping players on the head without a helmet, <laughs> I mean, what, what are you doing? But really, uh, to, so to see this, so to see uh, LaFleur come in as the OC, to see Kingsbury come in on the coaching staff, you know, it's making us take pause a little bit and go, hey, wait a minute, Rams might be on the, might, Rams might be coming back. Uh, you know, I, we would certainly hope so at this point, but you know, it, it's exciting to see. Kingsbury had himself a really bad year with the Cardinals and understanding, you know, obviously you had a situation where uh, um, uh, Kyler Murray went down and he, he went, you know, into his mode where he was taking a little vacation so he can play modern warfare and get those <laughs> yep. things. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, he winds up in a situation, uh, uh, Kingsbury, you know, after his one way trip to Thailand um, that he apparently bought. He he might be flying back stakes, stateside here, and, and McVay could bring him on. Uh, they do have a history there. They worked on the same staff for a while. So that could be exciting. I like the idea of Cliff Kingsbury coming over there. Uh, in, I, I feel like the Arizona Cardinals kind of wrongly blamed him for the problems that went on this year with that team. They could have made the playoffs had Kyler Murray stayed healthy. I don't think there was any way that they were going to do it with Colt McCoy. Uh, but mm-hmm. it, it's what it is at this point. So you might see Cliff Kingsbury joining that staff. I'm fired up for that. Um, also, another coordinator that that made a move, the Falcons named the former Saints defensive line coach and the 2022 co-defensive coordinator, Ryan, Ryan Nielsen, as their new defensive coordinator. In tw- and uh, in 2022, the Saints finished with a top five defense in yards allowed per game with 314.8. Passing yards allowed per game with 184.4, and in sacks they were a top five defense. They had 48 sacks on the season as well. So the Falcons get their guy as a defensive coordinator. I'm fired up for that. Uh, I think that this is a actually a pretty good hire uh, given the circumstances. Boots, what do you got? Oh, I'm sorry, Brad. I got to go back to the to the to uh, Cliff very possibly joining the Rams. Mm-hmm. If you can't beat him, join him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I just, I just really quickly, I just kind of looked up the uh, his, his record is against the Rams in these last five games, uh, one and four. Oof. Oof. Yeah. Oh, I, <laughs> yeah. Can't beat him. Join him. Hey, maybe you can be a quarterback coach. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but I mean, the Saints. You know, they they get their guy in Ryan or the Falcons rather. They get their guy in Ryan Nielsen as the new DC over there. Um, you know, the Saints. Tanks had a, a a pretty solid defense this year. They were top you, five defense. You couldn't run on them. No, not at all. And and he was their defensive line coach. I think that shows that he's a damn good coordinator. Um, and he's a he's a co defensive coordinator over there. So he was kind of running the front half, if I'm not mistaken, and the back half was sort of being run by his his buddy. But I like Ryan Nielsen. I think this is a good hire for a Falcons team that had a bad defense ultimately. Um, and one thing about the defense, the defense for the Falcons, and I say they had a bad defense because they didn't have anything up front. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Up front, they were bad. But on the corners, if you recall, there was a period in time where no matter if you had a number, and I, I remember even in fantasy football, I was benching receivers, number one receivers that were taking on the Atlanta Falcons because they were shutting down the number one receivers over there that took on that defense. The Falcons or the Saints? The, the the Falcons they were they were shutting down uh, 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 number one receivers 
So they do have a decent corner crew over there, but if they go out now that they go out and they've got the defensive line coordinator from the saints as their new defensive coordinator, we might see that front end of their defense improve to a point where we're talking about the Atlanta Falcons having a good defense next year, which I'm totally here for. They've needed it for about a decade now. Arthur Smith is, is, is a really, he's a really good coach. He gets the most out of, of what he has with his teams and, to know that's Drake London that <laughs> yeah, yeah. to know that he can get a deep coordinator from the from across the street right <laughs> I could see them just dominating the Saints for the next two years I think Arthur Smith he makes some boneheaded decisions sometimes up front I think what and we talked about it with with the running game tremendous running coach yeah and and he knows how to get but then there's there's some confusing things I think he's more of a power running coach and and so he leaned toward a guy like Tyler Algier later on in the season yep. versus a Cordero Patterson, yep. which was interesting to say the least, because I don't know that Tyler Algier is going to be the guy. I, I, I like Tyler Algier, but and I understand you're trying to get get value, you know, out of out of running backs and, and you're that's that's the goal. You're trying to get value. But Cordero Patterson's the better runner. So for for him to just kind of blow off Cordero Patterson was kind of like, what are we doing here? But I also think he, he needs to learn how to be a passing game coordinator. Is is one issue that he had. He didn't know how to use Calvin Ridley when Calvin Ridley was on the field. He didn't. I mean, Kyle Pitts became a non-factor. That guy was a, a first rounder. Ooh. You know, he was a top, if I'm not mistaken, a top five pick. And then and then we're talking about you know, uh, um, uh, we you just said his name, Alex. It's blowing my mind here that I'm, I'm having a brain fart on that receiver. Um, but Drake London. Drake London. Thank you. He can't get Drake London going either. So I mean, and Drake London, he didn't have himself a bad year, but Drake London, I, I think, if you're talking about Dan Quinn being over there with his staff, we're potentially talking about Drake London being a thousand plus yard receiver, and with a lot more touchdowns. You know, and they didn't utilize him in the red zone. He only, I think, had three touchdowns this year. I mean, it really wasn't a great year for Drake London, as much as people say and as much as Pro Football Focus says. But I, I really do think that that. He's Arthur Smith is either a got to get a passing game coordinator that can help him understand the passing game better or B he's got to understand the passing game better and get Drake London a second receiver over there because that's another thing they didn't have a true wide receiver two on that team they did not I'll offer a C they need to get better quarterback play yes yes I agree Marcus Mariota is not the answer and neither is Desmond Ritter in my opinion Desmond Ritter needs a lot from what the scouts say, he needs he needs a little more seasoning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And one guy that's not going to need necessarily seasoning, but I'm getting a little worried about him, is Tua Tungavailoa. Yes, uh, he's he, still in concussion protocol. Yeah, remains in concussion protocol. He will not participate in the Pro Bowl games. This is like the sixth week in a row that this yeah. man has been in concussion protocol. He suffered three concussions this season, which is bad news bears. Mm-hmm. Had his head rocked slammed off the ground. He was throwing up gang signs in front of his face. I mean, it was just incredibly ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, Broke his finger after, you know, hitting a player in the helmet while trying to throw a ball and then got knocked out at the same time. Uh, You know, one of one, you know, one of the interim like, or the independent doctors got fired because they put, because the dolphins were dumb enough to put Tua back on the field. You know, it's actually, this has been a dumpster fire of a situation to say the least, and, you know, because Tua Tungavilo is very, you know, has been a very talented player. 
early on in the season when he had that uh, that double trouble threat of uh, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. We were talking about the Dolphins being a possible number one seed or number two seed, you know, ups, you know, upending Buffalo. And then this, and then all this stuff happens. And then, you know, the Dolphins barely missed the playoffs. If you you're know. the Dolphins right now, if you are the Dolphins right now, and Boots, I'll ask you, are, are you concerned about your quarterback? Are you concerned that Tua Tungabailoa won't be the guy after this? You, are you concerned that he may never see a football field again, given uh, the concussion concerns? I'm concerned he might sue us. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's what I'd be concerned with if I'm Miami. You know, Tua's health first first and foremost. Get get everything taken care of. Better get and get better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Miami has done him a, a, a huge disservice, and he should probably get out of there as soon as he can. Yeah. I, I think that, that you have a young head coach a young new head coach and Mike McDaniel, who was kind of maybe he didn't handle it the right yeah. way. Maybe he did. I don't, I don't know, but it, it doesn't look good. No, it's not right. a good look. And, and to him, I'm concerned that he might never play football again. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, yeah. you know, he may never see. Yeah. Well, well you want to know who's not concerned about that? Dolphins general manager, Chris Greer said earlier this month, that the team will enter the 2023 season with Tungavaloa as its starting quarterback and that doctors they have spoken to do not believe the quarterback's concussions will leave him more susceptible to head injuries moving forward. And interestingly enough, the Dolphins have a May 1st deadline to exercise the fifth-year option on Tungavaloa's rookie contract. Here's a question for you guys. Do they offer that fifth-year option? You know, I almost think you have to, but at the same time, if you if you don't, at least you can escape the situation if he continues to get hurt. That that becomes yeah. the you know the injuries become a question, and and if you do exercise that fifth year option, we're talking and and I hate to put this in business terms because it is a man's freaking brain getting jostled around in his head, yeah, yeah. but to put it in in a cap perspective, you're talking about twenty million against the cap. Currently, as it as it currently stands with the CBA, I mean that that can change, you know, as far as you know, inflation or whatever the case, because it's I think if I'm not mistaken, it's based on averages for players at that time. So when we're talking about uh, you know him getting his fifth year option picked up, twenty million against the cap for a player that you might not see, you're taking an awfully big risk for a guy who has suffered a, a degree of head trauma here. And you don't know how bad it is, but like like you were saying, Boots, we're talking a, a a month in protocol. That's a long time, and that's why like that set off an alarm to me. Going, hmm, I don't know if this this guy's going to be back on the field. I don't know that he's going to be that guy. It, it, there's a lot of questions there. Yeah, a lot of questions about old Tua Tungavailoa. So we're going to see what they do um, around, uh, around the AFC here and, and in the same state, Jacksonville Jaguars GM Trent Balky is currently in contract negotiations with tight end Evan Ingram after a breakout season. Uh, we, he says, we'd love to have him back. I think this is a no brainer signing. Absolutely. You know, uh, Evan Ingram really came into his own this year. He used to be with the New York football giants. Um, you know, the guy's been a stud this year and an abs an absolute, uh, you know, an underrated find. 
you know, pro- probably part of the reason why, you know, Jacksonville was able to, you know, dig up from that, you know, that deficit against the Chargers and the deficit against the Chiefs. You know, I think they really need to, to, to drop, you know, drop the cash for this guy. Yeah, Evan Ingram quietly becoming one of the best tight ends in all of football this hey, this year. Not named Travis Kelsey. Yep, they are willing to spend just as Christian Kirk. Yeah, yep. hundred and and you know what? We all laughed. We laughed on this sure very did. show. We laughed when that signing happened. Ah, ah, ah. Oh, what a bunch of idiots! They signed him for that amount of money. He was a thousand plus He's yard receiver. He's not a number one receiver. Yeah, ah, I say. Yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> So much for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, yeah they, they made us all. It just goes it. to show that sometimes when we laugh about stuff, we're not always right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I got to I got to eat a massive shit burger on that one. Uh, so um, moving forward, just talking a little bit about the head coaching carousel. We do have some teams that are in the mix for for head coaching, um, a new head coach. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals right now, uh, they have interviewed several people. They've interviewed their defense of coordinator Vance Joseph. Uh, the former Saints head coach and current Fox NFL analyst Sean Payton has been interviewed. Uh, former Dolphins head coach and current Steelers linebackers coach Brian Flores, he has been interviewed. Uh, Frank Reich was interviewed, but we know he got hired by the Panthers. Uh, the Cardinals have also interviewed uh, Lions defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn, the Broncos mm. coordinator Ejiro Evero, and the Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn, who's informed that he's staying in Dallas. Um, Arizona is kind of an, in an interesting spot. Uh, it, it, it's one of those things where, I mean, they could go after Sean Payton, but I don't know that they're willing to spend the money to be perfectly honest. I don't know if he'd want that job. Yeah. Yeah. You with, with Kyler Murray over there, it, it, I don't know. He's not going to be, Murray's not going to be ready for the, for the, at least the first half of the of next season. Yeah. And they're going to have to do massive work on that offensive line. There is age concern. Yeah. I think if, if really, if anything, if they're, they're going to be looking at anybody and they're looking at a lot of defensive coordinators here, I think they're hoping that, that their defense is going to be better. I don't know if Brian Flores is going to want that job either. There's almost a diva esque mentality when it comes to Kyler Murray at this point. Um, there's a bad mm-hmm. attitude. Uh, he's sort of a cancer in, in these locker rooms. Vance Joseph, just to get him through this year, might be the answer. But I don't see the Arizona Cardinals being better next year, to be honest with you. I, I see them getting worse. Um, they're uh, they're kind of downtrodden here. And they're right now they're in the midst. We talked about it on prior shows that they're in the midst of trying to deal DeAndre Hopkins. Which that's, you know, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's almost, it sounds like it's a deal born out of necessity. But, you know, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot because, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is, quite frankly, your number one receiver. To me, it's to, it's take the guy that's familiar with the team, take Vance Joseph, plug him in, and just say, you're our guy for the year. And then see what he does from there. You have to give him a couple of years, I would tend to think. But it would make a, the most sense out of any of these guys. I would say Vance Joseph makes the most sense. Yes. Yeah, I, I really do. Um, moving on to the Broncos, the Broncos have have uh, interviewed Sean Payton. They also hired or they uh, interviewed Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh. He's announced he's returning to Michigan. <laughs> yep. Who thought Harbaugh was going to leave? Michigan? Yep, yep. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> that's a, that's the second time in, in as many years. I'm, I'm not going to do it again. Yeah, yep. yep. Uh, <laughs> Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn. He's staying in Dallas. They did uh, interview their own defensive coordinator Ezra Evero. Um, the 49ers defensive coordinator, Danico Ryans, and Rams defensive coordinator, Raheem Morris, which uh, 
Ryan's and Morris have both consistently since last season been looked at as head coaching candidates. We we saw Raheem Morris was at one point leading the charge for the Vikings head coaching job. Um, I like D'Amico Ryan's a lot. I think he'd be a good fit here. But Ezra Evero is a guy that um, sort of got a bad rap with with the Broncos. It, their defense was still good though, very good, in spite of the fact that they lost so much talent. And that's something to to consider. They might be, I mean, Ezra Evero might be the guy. That that might be a, a good hire for them. Just stick with a guy a that you know that knows these players that you know is going to run a good defense. Find yourself a good offensive coordinator and roll with it from there. Let him staff his own team. But Evero, I, to me, is is the answer there. Boots, what say you? Mm, I mean, consistency is very key in the NFL. You know, when you get somebody there that knows, like, like as you said, knows the players, knows, and they know him, and they know what he's going to bring to them. And by all reports, this guy is on his game. Mm-hmm. He's a very good coordinator. I could see it. Yeah, uh, they the Broncos have really ham, hamstrung themselves with that uh, Russell Wilson deal, though. Yeah, <sighs> yeah, they, they they've hogtied themselves practically. Yeah, you stepping into that, you automatically here's what you got: uh, an aging pocket quarterback who doesn't move like he used to. Bingo. Uh, yeah, Alex, exactly. Which which coach are you looking at? Are you looking at Everell, Ryan's, Morris? Um, you know something, uh, it, it's a coin flip for me, but, um, I would want to plug in, like you, you mentioned that, uh, that there was a coach that was familiar with the system or that they, or they've been with, is uh, their current defensive coordinator. Okay. I mean, well, I, you know, you could probably put him on, you know, uh, again, to, for a defensive coordinator to transition from his own team to a head coach that, you know, it could spell trouble. But as long as he's familiar with the schemes they're all trying to run, uh, you know, maybe that might make the most sense. Uh, you know, it'd be it'd be good, it'd be really cool to snag, uh, you know, the the 49ers defensive coordinator like we talked about earlier, uh, because of the fact that you know he led the he's leading the Del- he's helping to lead the 49ers to the Super Bowl potentially, uh, or you know an an exit from the NFC title game if the Eagles have their way. So, you know, maybe, maybe Morris, uh, my, uh, Morris is on, from the 49ers, correct? No, Raheem Morris, uh, the defense coordinator for the Rams. No, yeah, not, yeah, not, yeah, not Morris in this case, either, uh, Edro or, um, the other guy, I apologize. Ryan's and D'Amico Ryan's is one of those guys right now. We, and we're moving on to the Houston Texans. He's leading the charge there for the Texans. I think he's going to wind up getting that Texans job. <laughs> I don't think it's a question. I think D'Amico Ryans is a very special defensive coordinator. Um, I think even if he were to leave the Niners and go to the Texans and fail with the Houston Texans, that the Niners would just welcome him back with open arms because he's that good. Um, He is currently the top candidate for the Texans. They've also interviewed Jonathan Gannon, the defensive coordinator from the Eagles. Uh, The Lions OC, Ben Johnson, he's informed me staying in Detroit. Ezra Evero from the Broncos, we just got done talking about him. He interviewed for that spot. The Eagles offensive coordinator stay, uh, Shane Steichen is, has uh, interviewed for that spot. Uh, former Saints head coach Sean Payton, he's interviewed for it. Rams assistant head coach and tight ends coach Thomas Brown has also interviewed for that spot. But I think D'Amico Ryans winds up as the Houston Texans head coach. And I honestly think that's the best hire. I think that's a great hire for them. I mean, he's a damn good defensive coordinator. 
obviously. I mean, I have to have to see what it's like to be a head coach. And again, we're dealing with the dumpster fire here. Yep. Yep. We're dealing with a a very rough situation in Houston boots. Who do you got for this spot? I mean, they said, Ooh, (laughs) you know, you know, Shane's Shane, Shane's Tyson. That's a, for the yeah, that's an interesting name. I, I mean, D'Amico Ryan's. I, I wish he, I wish he would get it, but Shane Steichen, the way that Philadelphia, they can run with you, mm-hmm. or they can, you, we can beat you in the air, we can beat you on the ground. How, how you want to do it? We right. can beat you either way. And when you have a team that can do that, that says something about the offensive coordinator, and 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 he would be an excellent. Uh, in an excellent position. I mean, the offense itself, not that great. And, but the defense of Houston, very underrated. Mm-hmm. And and if you remember, they do have a very young running back over there. Yeah. And and they do have a situation where they have a high enough draft pick where Steichen can go out and get his guy under yeah. center um, early in this draft. I mean, there we're talking about a top three pick here. So, I mean, yeah. Houston, um, right now, man, they're, they're looking like, like, they might be in, in control here if they, they wind up getting Shane Steichen. So that might actually be a good hire. As it currently stands, D'Amico Ryan's leading the charge there. And it's still a it's a very winnable division. Yes. All, every yeah. you know every team there is bad. Look at just what happened with, with Jacksonville. Yep. So it's a very winnable division. And then also around that division, if we're uh, the Colts obviously looking for their new head coach. Interim head coach Jeff Ooh. Saturday has been has been uh, interviewed. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, he's been interviewed. Aaron Glenn, Raheem Morris, Ben Johnson, St- Shane Steichen, Ezra Evero. Here's a guy that that we haven't talked about enough. Eric Bieniemy. Um, mm. I feel like he gets uh, interviewed by teams every year. Mm. Uh, the Chiefs' offensive coordinator. He always gets interviewed and never gets a job. I'm waiting for that moment when somebody finally breaks down and hires Eric Bieniemy because he's been so good for the Chiefs. Uh, some people believe, and and I know when Tyler was on the show prior, he had talked about how. Uh, Eric Bieniemy, he feels as though he is sort of coddled by by Andy Reid in a way. Oh, Andy Reid is a is a coach where he's he's kind of running the show, and Bieniemy is just kind of there. But I really do think Bieniemy is a good offensive coordinator. Uh, also, around they they went after D'Amico Ryan's. They interviewed uh, offensive coordinator for the Giants, Mike Kafka. The Giants defensive coordinator, Wink Martindale. Um, Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn, Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan, which I also think is a very uh, would be a very good choice given the Colts' current situation. They are in a position right now where if they do hire a new offensive coordinator, they're at a, they're number four in the draft this year, and it's there's talks you know kind of swirling that the Colts could trade up into number one, go after their quarterback of the future. I don't know if it's Bryce Young. We'll talk about draft picks in a second here. But, you know, uh, uh, these offensive coordinators, Mike Kafka, Eric Bieniemy, Brian Callahan, especially Callahan and, and uh, Bieniemy, both those guys are notorious for taking young quarterbacks and developing them into stars. We see Joe Burrow. We see Patrick Mahomes. So, I mean, let's, let's not uh, discount those guys. And the other one is – the Packers special team coordinator, former Raiders interim head coach, Rich Bisaccia. And and don't forget, Rich Bisaccia is the guy that turned the Raiders around at the end of last year and brought them to the playoffs and uh, where they got eliminated in the wild card round. But he got them to the playoffs. I mean, that's a huge deal as well. Um, my pick, if, I, if I'm if i the Colts and I'm looking at this group, it's either Callahan or Bianca. 
And, and I think they do have a strong enough defense. A lot of people are looking at guys like Wink Martindale, who's done great things for the Giants defense, um, even though they just got smoked by the Eagles. Um, I'm not big on Martindale. You remember Wink Martindale did get fired by the Baltimore Ravens last year. Um, so, I mean, if I'm looking at this as the Colts, uh, I'm not looking at Jeff Saturday at all. I'm over here looking at an offensive-minded head coach with my big-time running back. They're going to go out and get the quarterback that they need. It's Biennemi or Callahan. Alex, who do you got? Well, <clears throat> I mean, I'm just I'm going to lean towards uh, Eric Biennemi. You know, as you, for the reasons that you've mentioned, you know, he ha- he has been hired for many uh, uh, coordinator positions and head coaching positions, uh, and he ha- and he has been leading the charge, as you will, on the offensive side of the ball. So, you know, I th- I think there was talk. Um, I didn't know if he was going to go to Detroit last year, or I, I, I thought I thought there was like a, a like a team that we he was interviewing with, and we were like, oh, that would be great, yeah. you know, and uh, he would, he would probably be a really good fit in Indianapolis. You know, he would definitely be. Uh, he would definitely bring some hope uh, to that, to the beleaguered city. Um, you know, and I, I think I think that would be the the one if he goes if if he is no longer the offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs. I say he goes to Indianapolis. Yeah, I, I'm. I think it would be really really smart. Uh, he he'll remain the OC with the Chiefs. I don't think Andy Reid has any intention of letting him go. But the enemy would be my pick for the Colts. Uh, what say you, Boots? What do you got? Well, it seems like there's a plan in Kansas City where Reed wants to hand it off to the enemy. Mm-hmm. But is he ready to hand it off to the enemy? That's right. what it kind of feels like to me. And this Colts job is, is, again, winnable division. And really, it's a good young core of a roster. They, they will need some help in the offensive line. But, man, if I'm... I'm looking at Rich Versace. When you look at what the Raiders were able to do the second, well, most of, of last season after the debacle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the John Gruden debacle. Woo! Uh, at what they were able to do after that with him and how he was let go by the organization, I thought they, I thought the Raiders uh, made a bad move there, mm-hmm. sort of like with Steve Wilson and the Carolina Panthers. Right. Also, Look at what the Packers, the Green Bay Packers special teams looked like last season mm-hmm. and juxtapose that to what it looked like this season. Yes. That was a direct correlation of who they had coaching that unit. Mm-hmm. And they were one of the worst last season, one of the best this season. Yes. So you add that he took, uh, Basaccia took a team in the Raiders that were left for dead and brought them all the way back, mm-hmm. right? And he took the special teams from the Packers that were left for dead and terrible, missing, ugh, anyway, and <laughs> brought them all the way back to where they were one of the best in the league. I think he should get a nod, man. I mean, in Indianapolis, it's not like you're in New York. It's not like you're in L.A. and, and a big, huge media market. Hey, it's Indianapolis, right? Right, right. Right? We <laughs> eat, we have fun, and we love football. It's the Midwest. Right. I think it would be perfect for them yeah it would me it would be eric the enemy or, or uh rich Versace. yeah i wouldn't be against it at all i i think uh Versace, you know didn't get enough credit the fact that he didn't wind up getting that raiders head coaching job and they yeah. and they went with mcdaniels instead you know i i don't know i to me i i'm with you about rich Versace. i think he's kind of an underrated guy mm-hmm. um he he was that raiders coach that turned that team around and he got and, him to play for him, yeah he, right? he got him to play hard and yeah. and he made good play calls 
Derek Carr had himself a great year last year. Got an extension. Got an extension. Mm -hmm. A big time one. So, I mean, if you, I kind of can see where you're coming from with with Rich Bisacci. I wouldn't be opposed to that if I was uh, a Colts fan. Um, I think that's a smart move. Now, what I'm going to do real quick here is I'm going to get us a quick word from from our uh, folks over there at It's Your Time Massage. Uh, When we come back, we're going to jump into our rookie rankings we got two two things left to hand, handle here we got our, our some of our uh, our draft prospects to talk about uh quarterbacks and receivers are the two categories that we're going to be jumping into i'm going to give you my top quarterback draft prospects that i'm looking at we'll talk a little bit about these guys and then we got our predictions for conference championship weekend who are our winners by the way just so we know uh for our predictions for this season um i have finally and and uh, I probably wouldn't have won had Tyler stuck around, but uh, I have finally become the pick'em champion for this year. Mm. Um, with with three games left, I have a comfortable five game lead. So I have I have defeated uh, Alex and Andrew. It was a valiant effort by Alex. He almost came back, but uh, I I put it away in divisional weekend there. So Alex, kudos to you. So we'll take just a quick break. We're going to grab ourselves some water and whatnot. We'll get a quick word from our sponsors. We'll be right back right here on the Outside Blitz. At It's Your Time Massage, you get all the benefits of one of the larger massage chain parlors, but in a more intimate and personal setting. With four years' experience, massage therapist and owner Amanda Yata's goal is to help people in a natural way, offering Swedish deep tissue, pregnancy, aromatherapy, and sports massages. You will feel better and have more energy in just one hour. It's Your Time Massage is offered in-home, Amanda's or yours. With the rates ranging from $55 to $130, you get professional quality at an affordable rate. Contact Amanda today at 313-686-4347 or online at iytmassage.com. It's Your Time Massage, a natural way to improve your well-being. Welcome back to the Outside Blitz. I am one of your fabulous hosts, the Cannonball Alex Steele. The Cannonball in the house, and uh, I'm the fabulous one, Scotty Freytown. We've got the bootleg better with us. I, Boots, I'm so fired up that you're on the show, man. I, I love that you're here. You have been a wonderful addition. I hope that you join us more in the future. It's been very exciting having you here, and uh, we, we're just ecstatic with, with uh, how this thing has gone today. Well, I appreciate that, my brother. Yeah, yeah, we we love having the uh, glad to be here. Yeah, we we appreciate having you, uh, folks. We got uh, dre- you know we've been talking about all the playoff stuff and all the news around the league and the coaching carousel and all that good stuff. We know free agency frenzy is going to happen in March. We're going to be doing shows when free agency frenzy gets closer, but the season isn't over yet. But we do have some draft stuff going on. We've got some early draft stuff, uh, and as you know, I am like. The draft master around here, apparently. I do my, <laughs> my three-round mock draft every year, um, and, and I always put it up on, on uh, the, old, the old book, the old Facebook there on our uh, Facebook page at the Outside Blitz. So I do that, and I throw it up there, and I make sure that everybody gets to see uh, how wrong I am and my picks sometimes. You know, we you know how one bad pick can ruin your whole damn board, and uh, those damn Cleveland Browns always seem to ruin it for me. It's <laughs> everything. But – 
with our draft, we do have our top draft prospects. I usually go through every position uh, throughout the uh, the draft process and, and figure out who my top five for each position is. Um, today, I'm doing the quarterbacks and the receivers. I want to talk about a little bit about our draft prospects uh, moving into this year's draft. So um, starting out with the quarterbacks, I want to talk a little bit about them. My number one draft prospect at the quarterback position is a guy that's not getting enough love. He's a guy that really hasn't been considered number one in a lot of these situations. Let's talk about him. C.J. Stroud out of Ohio State. I don't understand how people are not giving this guy the love that he deserves. He's got good measurables. He's 6'3". He's 218 pounds. He's an old-school pocket passer. He's got a great arm. He's got the ability to stand strong in the pocket. He's unfazed by pressure. Um, he quickly progresses through his, lead, or his reads. Rather, He's got a big arm. He's got good zip on the ball. He hits passes at all three levels with great accuracy. I mean, what's there not to like about this guy? He hits short and intermediate passes. Uh, he spreads the ball around. I mean, he's not going to force the ball to a single player. We see that a lot in certain situations. Particularly, I mean, we as Vikings fans, we see it all the time. Justin Jefferson all day. He has good leadership. He can adjust and make reads at the line. Now, when it comes to him, there's not much bad with C.J. Stroud. He's he's the first thing is is some scouts are are kind of knocking him because he's played with NFL caliber talent on the offensive line at receivers. Let's not forget he had Olave Wilson, uh, Smith Najigba's getting ready to come out this year. Marvison Harrison Jr. So I mean there there are players um, that that he's played with that are stars. Uh, Stover also at the tight end position has been has been a revelation for Ohio State over there, but. Um, you know, he people are are curious because he's going to go higher in the draft if he can play with lesser talent in this league, which I completely understand. Um, he's an athletic guy, um, but he does seem like he's unable to escape the different heavier blitz packages, particularly versus Michigan. We got to see him get attacked by that Michigan front seven. And he also has a tendency to attempt throws that simply won't be acceptable in the NFL. Um, the one that really caught my eye, he did throw and it turned into a touchdown. We got to go. I'll give him credit for that. But the across-the-body, Brett Favre-style pass that it, it turned into a completion, it turned into a touchdown, but that type of thing will not fly in the NFL. We saw that in that NFC title game when it comes to Brett Favre. And, and you know, it'll, it'll fly in college, okay, against those lesser collegiate uh, uh, defenses. We know that that stuff will fly in college sometimes. That's not going to fly in the NFL. Starting out with Boots, what, what do you got on C.J. Stroud? Yeah, uh, um, absolutely. He's uh, got really good size. Deceptively, deceptively has that sort of size. Six, yeah. 6'3", 218 pounds. Um, he's got a good arm, really good arm. He's very talented, can run a little bit, and they show, and he showed that against Georgia. Uh, the throw you were talking about, I believe, was uh, – Was that Maryland uh, he was taking on? No, when he was actually against Georgia in the uh, – in the uh, playoffs. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay, and he and he threw the ball across because he redirected Marvin Harrison Jr. Mm -hmm. across the field, and he was sort of jumping like he literally was off of the ground. Yeah. and threw the ball across his across his body, which what you were talking about. Now he put it where only Marvin Harrison Jr. could catch it. It was down low, and, and Harrison Jr. went to his knees and scooped it off and scooped it up, and it was a touchdown. But that's not a that you should be making, especially the way his his feet weren't planted, shoulders weren't square, and he threw it across his body. Yep. It turned into a great 
a great play, but that's not the type of thing that you want to make. Yeah, not not in this league. In the NFL, that that type of thing won't get you. They'll get you benched and they'll get picked off. Yeah, every every time. Um, I think Stroud's a, a special player. And one thing, uh, speaking of throws that that generally don't happen in the NFL. That you'd be that he was successful throwing. He did throw a, a number of passes and some, into some really tight coverage lanes, some double coverage where he was just forcing the ball, and it it turned out okay. Thankfully, he had for him, for thankfully for him, he had good receivers at his disposal to make those passes in Smith and Jigba, in Olave, in Wilson. He had those guys, but there were some throws where I'm going in the NFL. If you were to throw that, and let's say Bryce Callahan was standing standing there, yeah. that turns into an interception all day. I, I think he's um, Stroud was was benefited by the fact that Brian Hartline mm-hmm. is one heck of a receivers coach because he schemes those guys open more than any. Every time I look up, yep. Chris Olave touchdown, Garrett Wilson touchdown, wide open receivers. How they, I don't know how they scheme it, but the scheme works. Yeah. Right. And Stroud has clean pockets and he's got, it seems like the, every single throw is wide. It's like seven on seven. Yeah. Right. With those guys. So, but there's one thing that, that does kind of irk me a little bit about Stroud's game when he is, when he was against uh, Michigan and, and they were blitzed, those heavy blitz packages that you mentioned uh, the last two years, you could see him that in game maturity. Yeah, might be lacking a little bit. You could see him getting down on stuff. You could see him, you know, showing frustration, things like that. That lets the other team know, oh, we're getting to him. Yeah, and and when he gets out of rhythm like that, that's yeah. that's when he gets into trouble. Alex, what's your thoughts on C.J. Stroud? I know he was sort of the bane of your existence for a little while, <laughs> but uh, Michigan sort of uh, beat him up a little bit. What do you think about this kid? Well, um, <clears throat> you kept saying, you know, well, what not to like about this kid? And, and the thing that popped up in my head was, well, he's an Ohio State Buckeye. But, <laughs> uh, but – uh, we have seen uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes generate uh, many of an NFL talent, uh, both good and bad. Uh, C.J. Stroud is certainly a great player. Um, you know, there's talks about him possibly being drafted by Detroit in the first round. We've discussed that on this show. Uh, <clears throat> wherever he hint, wherever he lands up, he ends up. I still think he's a top five draft pick. Like he's a top like. Of the first five picks in this year's draft, he's one of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it, it, it's just you know, when he when you he was able to take Georgia to the limit. He was able to get Ohio State in field goal range. You know, no team really from the Big Ten had ever been able to do that. You know, and we we all sang praises when he shanked like at at the sound of the bell at at the at at uh, midnight on new year's eve you know that that kick went live left and we all screamed happy new year but the deal is this kid knows how to play and this kid knows how to play big you know big time football and as you mentioned he cleans up some of those things that you mentioned earlier you know throwing across his body you know making sure he's square and you know going through his progressions and everything you know if he does well in the combine i think that's something that you know that's another thing if he does well in the combine, then you can see his draft stock, you know, really be cemented. Um, I think um, he needs to he needs to remain great in order to keep that top five uh, prospect going. Right. Uh, I, I do think that there are certain places where, where he's going to be a better fit than others. Um, having a good offensive line at his disposal, obviously, is a, a big. Um, I don't know how he's going to perform when he when he gets 
you know, picked it. He's, he's to me, clearly going in the top five. I don't think he slides out of the top five. But, uh, you know, to me, if, if, say, the Colts were to come up and the Colts were to, to, were to pick him, I think he's a perfect fit for what the Colts have, especially because the Colts do have a good offensive line over there. Obviously, they have a good offensive line with Jonathan Taylor and the success we saw with Jonathan Taylor run blocking. They're good. They're also good in pass blocking. Matt Ryan didn't see a ton of pressure this year. Matt Ryan was just bad. I mean, at the end of the day, Matt Ryan was just bad. So, I mean, and Ohio State does, and, and to, to your point, Alex, you said Ohio State, they do produce, they have a tendency to produce bad quarterbacks. But I think a lot of times when Ohio State's produ- produced those bad quarterbacks, it's people getting too excited about quarterbacks that, you know, for example, uh, uh, Dwayne Haskins, for example, quarterbacks that show certain flashes of something, but there's not a large enough sample <laughs> And and we saw that with Dwayne Haskins. We, we we've seen that Cardale Jones. Cardale Jones going to the national championship. And, and, our, then, and our best friend, old Bustin Fields. Bustin Fields, you know he he's turned into a bum, and and he had a small sample size. And and I just I don't think that any of these quarterbacks have been really special until I saw C.J. Stroud. And now I really think that C.J. Stroud could break the mold as far as what we've seen out of Ohio State quarterbacks in recent memory. Um, Ohio State has never produced a top-tier quarterback, and I think never. never. And C.J. Stroud could be that guy because he's a traditional pocket passer. So, I mean, I, I like him a lot. Uh, number two, let's talk about this guy. This is another uh, uh, team that has a notorious group of quarterbacks that is bad, is at Alabama. We're talking about Bryce Young out of Alabama here. Um, he's a 2021 Heisman Trophy winner. I mean, he's got a great high, he's got a very high football IQ. He's considered by many scouts to have a, and I quote, Montana-like leadership qualities. Um, mm. he's got good arm strength. He's capable of making the passes at all three levels, but he doesn't have the same arm strength as a CJ Stroud. He's incredibly accurate. Um, he's got the capability to scan the field effectively in spite of the short stature. Um, he's fast when he's running with the football, his straight line speed, by the way, his straight line speed is just outrageously amazing. Um, he defeated several stereotypes about Alabama QBs having elite talent around him by having a successful year this year after losing his two top receivers to the draft in 21 and 22. Um, the cons are though, he's a little undersized. Um, he he's measured at six foot 194, but his actual height is actually probably closer to five eleven. Um, he did injure his shoulder during 2022 and missed time, which further exacerbates that issue. Um, and the arm, ta- arm talent isn't as elite as Stroud's. You know, a lot of people are really big on Bryce Young, and and his leadership qualities are there. I'm I'm there for that, but the size and the the arm talent not being as good as C.J. Stroud's that those are the concerns to me. And now you see him getting hurt. He's got the shoulder injury. I don't know how this guy's going to hold up at an NFL level at his size and stature. Um, we'll start with you, Alex. Bryce Young, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not as sold on him as Stroud. Could he be great? Sure, but I'm not as sold. Right. I mean, it, 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 obviously, you know, when you're coming from a pedigree at Alabama, the expectation, and I think this is part of the problem, the expectation is really, really high that you're going to be successful because, you know, Alabama – you know, might you know, is the uh, there's an interesting statistic that I'm going to bring up. I mean, I mean, you know, may not be as relative, uh, but real quick, uh, 
you know, Bryce, you know, Bryce Young definitely is a talent, but as you said, he's shorter in stature. I think these quarter, you know, but I think we also talked about something that we're moving into the era of the mobile quarterback. I mean, we kind of did with Russell Wilson. We kind of did it with some of these other quarterbacks that came in 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 the mid 2000s and the mid 2010s, but we're really starting to move into a hybrid quarterback situation. What a quarterback that can run the football and pass the football, you know, you know, traditional pocket passers, uh, you know, seem to be going the way of the Dodo. I mean, obviously CJ Stroud is an exception to that rule. Uh, but these days, you know, we seem to be in the realm of the mobile quarterback and Bryce young, you know, as you said, his straight, his straightaway speed, absolutely phenomenal. So, you know, if, if you get a situation where the field opens up and there's nobody open, he can take off like a Jalen Hurts. You know, we, you know, he, Jalen Hurts is also an Alabama talent. You know, and he's in, and he is in the NFC title game. Um, and the one thing that I was going to uh, bring up is, um, well, you know what? Um, <laughs> it, it it's escaped me. So why don't we shoot? Uh, so boots, uh, what do you think? Uh, what what do you think? Where do, what do you think Bryce Young brings to the table? Uh, Bryce Young is best. greatest talent. He's a competitor to Yes, I, I watched the, the game against Texas. That's this is the one where it really got to me. Where there are going to be those games, he gets up, right, and nothing's working, and the defense is giving up plays, and and it, it's, you know how we, how Alabama used to go, you know, hey, forty-five nothing at halftime, right? Yep. You know, up, game over, right? This was one of those games this past year against uh, Texas. This was one of those games where. Nick Saban had to coach, right? Yeah. Yeah. He had to settle in because it's going to be a long night. Hope you had your, hope you had your lunch. <clears throat> hope you, you got enough rest because these Texas boys going to be here all day, right? Mm-hmm. And Bryce Young stepped up and he delivered the ball where it needed to be, when it needed to be, at the end of the game, and he stu- he played the entire game. Some guys, you know, just you know, just forget that. It's an actual game, and they just, you know, and they run off and, and, and leave the people. Yep. And they just, you know, and they check out almost, and, and they get overcome by the moment. Yeah. He does not. He's a Heisman Trophy winner. He's got, really, he's got a, gr- a great, great ball placement. Mm-hmm. I mean, I saw a, a, a pass to the back of the end zone against Kansas State in the uh, Sugar Bowl, I believe, uh, this past season. And, man, he got it to Ja'Cory Brooks of, over the shoulder, shirt pocket, right back corner of the end zone. Yeah. <laughs> it was a beautiful, beautiful throw, 32 yards. It was one of the best throws I had seen anybody, anybody. And that accuracy and that ball placement, that's what I'm <clears throat> in the conversation. He can run, and uh, but, but maybe the size might be an issue, six feet, 194 pounds. If, he's going to need some taller, rangier receivers. He's going to go to a team. He needs a, a team with some longer, taller, rangy uh, receivers, right? Or maybe a shorter offensive line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, number so, three, is it, you know, I want to point out. Uh, uh, well, real quick, before we get to number three, I remembered my thing. You know, we we keep talking about Alabama brings NFL caliber talent all the time. Do you know which college produced the most Super Bowl quarterbacks in history? It wasn't Alabama, I believe. Wasn't it the University of Michigan? 
No, it wasn't the University of Michigan. The California Golden Bears. Wow. Uh, and and two uh, uh, and two examples uh, that uh, jump immediately to mind: Jared Goff and Aaron Rodgers. Wow. Right? wow. So you know, so the next time some Alabama fan gets up on his soapbox and go, "We produce NFL talent," do you produce any Super Bowl quarterbacks? Uh, let me get back to you on that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Th- I'm sure they've done like one or two, but Cal produced five. So just a little trivia for you there. Yeah, yeah. Before uh, Tua Tagovailoa, Alabama hadn't produced a star quarterback for damn near fifty years. So I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's something to think about. Uh, number three is kind of an interesting one. Um, you know, a lot of people are really big on Will Levis right now. Um, I I don't understand it. I know Todd McShay and 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 company are are huge on Will Levis. Number three for me, though, is Tanner McKee out of Stanford. Um, and, and I know I was really big on Davis Mills and, and from what I saw at his pro day and his combine. Uh, and it, you know, I remember, and I've talked about it ad nauseum. Davis Mills was dropping, uh, passes just to, to receivers and, in you know, in a monsoon, you know, you have hurricane Katrina going out there at Stanford and he's over here. I mean, dropping dimes, you know, in a rainstorm. But um, Tanner McKee is something different, and I don't think he's been getting enough credit because of the fact that Stanford did go 3-9 and nine these last two seasons. Um, but he's a big boy, man. He's got a, an elite frame. He's got a more elite frame than, than Will Levis. He's 6'6", 230. He's taller than Ben Roethlisberger. Holy okay. smokes. Yeah, he's, he's a big boy. He's <clears throat> one of the most accurate pocket passers in all of college football. He has great technique and footwork, footwork when he's throwing the football. Um, he's got great speed. He ran a 4.6840 time. So... <sighs> For a big quarterback, that's that's pretty damn quick. Uh, he's able to lead receivers on short passes. He's got great anticipation for the routes. Uh, he understands the West Coast offense system when he'll be able to handle a pro-style offense. That's huge to me. The fact that this guy could get picked up and he'll be able to handle a West Coast-style offense immediately is a big deal. The cons, he has great accuracy, but he doesn't have the proper touch on the ball. The ball. If you remember Matt Stafford a few years ago, he used to just rifle balls. I mean, just, I mean, fastball it to receivers that, I mean, he had no business throwing it, I mean, as hard as he did. That's something that that McKee will have to work on. He did have the two rough seasons at Stanford, but there's questions about whether or not it was his doing or the talent around him. That's going to be the question of the day for him. But he hasn't proven that he has the ability to fully elevate the team and put him on his back like like the elite players in the NFL, the Patrick Mahomeses of the world. And he has trouble processing certain information in regards to coverages and defensive looks, although he is at least able to identify him better than Will Levis, which is, and we'll be talking about Levis here momentarily, but uh, Tanner McKee, he's, he doesn't process as quickly but he still identifies it. You know, it, it takes him a second. Um, I, that's something he'll have to work on, and that's something that can be developed in the NFL. Um, I think this guy's a special player, and I think a lot of people are sleeping on him. He's been getting some talk, but not as much as you'd expect. You know, we've been hearing all about, you know, this this cat from Florida, and, and forget all that. Tanner McKee is my number three quarterback here, and I think people are sleeping on him. Boots, who do you, what do you got on, on McKee here? Uh, I do see that big prototypical NFL size, six foot, uh, six six, two thirty, big boy. Uh, I think he could stand to use another year in college. Yeah, just mm-hmm. just my opinion. Because look, if you look at the landscape of the Pac twelve, 
UCLA, Dorian Thompson Robinson, he's going to be gone. You yep. got Washington's quarterback, Michael Penix Jr., he's gone. UNC, I don't know what uh, Caleb Williams is doing. He's going to be uh, declaring in 2024. Okay, so. And, and UCLA and USC are moving over to the Big Ten now. Yeah, exactly. So you got in uh, Utah's Cam Rising, he's gone. So you've got two, four of the big, big boys in the USC quarterbacks are, are gone. They're out of there. Mm-hmm. So even Cal's losing their uh, senior uh, quarterback. His name escapes me right now, but they're so the Pac-12 is very winnable. Uh, Bo Nix out in Oregon, he's gone. No, right? actually, Bo Nix has declared that he's coming back for one coming more back year. back for one more one year. One more oh, year yep. of the COVID year. Okay. Yep. Well, well, I, I still stand by my statement. Tanner McKees needs another year in in college to to perfect his game, and I think he would be uh, best served doing that. He's, he's got he's got some talent and, and he's accurate and he's smart. Uh, I mean Stanford, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, just, just another another year, and I think he could really showcase him uh, himself in that Pac-12, which will be uh, very weak. Yeah, uh, Alex, what do you got on on Tanner McKee? Um, I haven't <clears throat> I haven't seen most I haven't seen really any of his play, uh, but I'm just gonna uh, piggyback off the statement you made about his frame. You know, the fact that we have an, uh, a quarterback that's about as tall as Ben Roethlisberger and yet still uh, is able to move fairly quickly for a person in that frame, I mean, it, it's uh, it's a win-win. Because yeah. you do, you know, I, it sounds to me like the NFL does want to have bigger players in the pocket there. I mean, I don't know if it's, like, like you know, Joe Burrow is a you know, pretty good-sized quarterback. You know, he's like 6'4", you know. So... Yeah, I, I think that um, not to say that quarterbacks that are un, like, like Bryce Young are not going to be successful because they're under six feet. But um, when you talk about elite frames, you know, I, I think I'm just going to piggyback off of that. And I, I do agree with that, you know, uh, <laughs> although one player that's, you know, kind of short and, and really tearing it up in the league is one Patrick Mahomes. Yep. So <laughs> I, I think he, again, is an exception to the rule. A big exception to the rule, but um, as far as Tanner goes, you give him one more year in college, like Boots suggested, and you know we'll and we'll see how his draft stock uh, you know, is after that. Right. Uh, number four goes to a guy uh, you know a lot of people are big on, and I am not sold on him at all. Uh, th- this is a guy that that people have tabbed. Some people have tabbed as possibly being the number one pick in the draft. It's Will Levis out of Kentucky. Mm. Um, big boy, big frame, 6'4", 230. He's got a big arm. Um, he's having these legendary things being said about his arm. Oh, he can throw an 80-yard pass. Oh, okay, great. Um, he's athletic. He can be mobile. It, it gives him this sort of Josh Allen feel. I mean, his size, he can bulldoze those undersized DBs. Um, solid accuracy when he has time in the pocket, which really wasn't always the case at Kentucky. I mean, Particularly on the intermediate and deep routes over the middle, he's he's really accurate. Um, the cons, though, he he doesn't have the ability to read a defense effectively. And yep, that's he, huge. Yep, and you know how badly I I have focused on that, how harsh I am on quarterbacks who can't do that. Um, many people often say that his inadequacies were a result of receiver mistakes, but the reality is that most of his bad plays were a result of him forcing the ball to bad situations. I mean, that's that's my outlook at it. Um, he's impatient when the pocket starts to collapse around him. He opts to run instead of stepping up in the pocket and just making an accurate throw. 
Uh, he does have an issue moving through his progressions. It caused a ton of interceptions throughout this season. Uh, certain mechanical issues with his release. Um, he had a three-quarter release, which which he had to correct. And he also has an issue with footwork. So, I mean, he doesn't really have the proper touch on the throws. He has trouble figuring out the amount of touch he should be putting on his passes at different levels. And uh, teams should take note, and this was a big one to me, teams should take note that he couldn't beat out Sean Clifford at Penn State, who wasn't exactly a world beater by any stretch of the imagination. So, I mean, I'm not as sold on Will Levis. I think this guy has bust written all over him. Um, Now, granted, my quarterback radar has been off in the past. You remember the Rosen debacle, okay? Everybody thought Josh Rosen was going to be tremendous, and he was a bust. Yep, exactly. So we, we, we remember that. I mean, and, and, but my, my radar has been on on certain guys as well. Like, for example, Trey Lance. My radar was on with him that he was going to be a bump. Here we are, Will Levis. I see a guy that is, he's got a big arm, he's got a big frame, but I just don't see it. I don't see a guy that can read defenses. I don't see a guy that, that is capable of handling the job at the NFL to make the, especially, with the amount of responsibility that's put on quarterbacks these days to make reads at the line, I I don't see it, and and I don't think he processes very well. I I don't buy it, and and if you look at his uh, scheme that he played in at Kentucky, it wasn't really a, a, a spectacular scheme. It was very a spread offense style scheme. I mean, it it's not good. So um, we'll start with you, Boots. Will Levis, what do you got on him? Uh, I'll start. I'll start by saying, I think James Franklin, head coach at Penn State, I think he was just loyal to Sean Clifford and not seeing what the actual talent that he had on, him, on behind him mm-hmm. in, in Will Levis. Uh, Levis, he's, he's gritty, he's athletic, he's mobile, uh, he can make things happen, he's, got, he's a, a great second reaction player, but he does need... As uh, scouts say, he needs to work on his deep ball and work on the deep ball accuracy because mm-hmm. that that's you know it's it's hit or miss with him. Right. Uh, he's he is tough. I'll give him that. He's tough and he's gritty, and people will gravitate to to him as a as a leader of the team because he you know he puts it out there every time and 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 trust me when other players see that the quarterback is putting in. The time, the effort, and and being as gritty as he'd been, they respond. So he's good in that aspect, but he he's not uh, he's not a first round quarterback in my opinion. No, I don't think he is either. And and a lot of people are projecting him top three, top four, top five. And and I think teams are going to be reaching big big time on this guy. The fact that he's being projected by some guys to be the best quarterback on their board, that he's being projected to be a guy that'll go number one overall. What are we talking about here? I think it's crazy talk. Um, and and really, it, he's in a dead heat for me with with my number five guy, which uh, we'll talk about in a second here. A guy that I know you're really high on, Alex. Um, but Will Levis, what what do you think about this guy? Well, um, I haven't heard of him, so that's one thing. <laughs> so, but he did get hurt at one point uh, for Kentucky this year. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, yeah, that doesn't yeah it doesn't help his chances. Um, but yeah, the, the fact that I hear the, those statements, oh, he's projected to be number one overall. I'm like, 
what are you guys doing? <laughs> I mean, I could see CJ Stroud or Bryce Young going number one overall just by their pedigree. But, you know, but, you know th- those would be Homer fans too. But as far as, you know, I tend to agree, you know, w- with uh, without more information to try to overturn an argu- argument, which you're not going to get from me, uh, <clears throat> I think Will Levis, you know, is not the player that he's touted to be. Uh, you know, and I think, and I think the, the the damning thing is, as you mentioned, if you can't read a defense, if you can't audible at the line, you're not going to be an elite quarterback in this league. That's what the greats do. That's what the elites do. That's what Patrick Mahomes does. That's what Josh Allen does. That's what Joe Burrow does. Right? He was doing that all the time uh, in the divisional round against the Bills, reading the defense, going, "Hey, I don't like this play. Let's change it up." You know. Uh, it was a big. It was a big thing that we, you know, chastised Shea Patterson about. He couldn't read a defense. Yep. Uh, same thing with Caden McNamara. You know, I don't think he could read a defense. You know, that's why J.J. McCarthy won the starting job last year. So if a quarterback can't read defense, you know, you're not top tier talent in the NFL. You're you're mid at best. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Will Levis, I have him at four, and and really this next guy is a guy I know you're big on, Alex. So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about him a little bit, but I'm gonna send this one your way. Number five goes to Hendon Hooker out of Tennessee. Um, you know he's got the good height for an NFL QB, solid accuracy. He's got arm strength that allows him to hit receivers at all levels. He's a good runner. Runner, you can compare him to Cam Newton in that aspect. Mm-hmm. He has a nice quick release, NFL caliber arm. He's everything you're looking for in that sense. Um, in spite of his quick release, though, his decision-making leaves something to be desired. Uh, he second-guesses himself a lot, a lot of pump fakes. He holds onto the football at seemingly forever. Um, mechanics get a little iffy when he's on the move. He tends to rely more on his arm and, and forget about his footwork when he's, when he's uh, on the run there and making passes on the run. So he, it causes some accuracy issues. Uh, the offense he runs is not a pro-style offense. Let's bear that in mind. It's a very spread offense, just similar to the one that Cam Newton ran at Auburn. It's a very zone run, vertical spread offense. Um, he possesses the ideal height, but he's only 218 pounds. So coming off of a major injury, that'll leave teams wondering whether or not he can take the beating at a pro level. Um, and he throws pure bullets. The, the touch on the ball we were just talking about, I mean, he darts him in there. Um, same, same thing for him as far as the, the bullet passes go. Uh, Alex, you're big on Hendon Hooker. I know you like this kid a lot. Um, what, what say you about him? Listen, uh, when I saw him play against Alabama, you know, that game where basically we thought Tennessee basically handed it to him like a three button coat, at the Salvation Army, this kid came back, tossed the ball around and, you know, he looked, he looked at that time like a, like a top draft prospect then he got hurt, and then he ran into South Carolina, and he fell off a cliff. Nobody was talking about him again. You know, Tennessee fell off a cliff. At one point in during the season, the Tennessee Volunteers, because of that win over Alabama, were projected to be the number one team in the college football playoff rankings, which was confusing. Even even when that happened, I was very confused when that happened because Georgia was literally sitting on top with no losses since last year, and all of a sudden Tennessee's number one? What are we talking about here? And again, the, the injury really tanked his draft stock. It tanked his – it was an ill-timed injury, and it just killed his momentum. He is still 
a very high prospect and any team would be very lucky to draft him. And, you know, especially if they compare him with his, with his counterpart, Jalen Hyatt, you know, which we'll be talking about in a minute. Hooker and Hyatt was basically Peyton to Marvin, you know, Peyton to Marvin senior, uh, Aaron Rodgers to Devonte Adams, you know, that, that comparison was coming up quite a lot, especially in that Alabama game. Although, you know, it was taught to me after the fact that, you know, Alabama's defense was definitely nothing to write home about. You know, they had more hole, they had more holes in the block of Swiss cheese. Um, but you know, it's, it's fair to have Hendon hooker on this top list. Again, I am high on him, but as you mentioned, you know, if, if he didn't have that injury, he would probably be sitting at number three or number two, you know, I agree. I, I think Hendon hooker sans injury. We'd be, we'd be talking about him probably number three on this list. I, I think, you know, most people are sold on Stroud young, um, but Will Levis is all kinds of question marks. That's the reason he kind of sinks on my list a little bit is because of the injury. Boots, what do you got on Hennon Hooker? What, do you think this guy's the second coming of Cam Newton and in, in young Cam Newton? I mean, that's that seems to be the, the comparison that we're seeing here. He beat Bama. Yeah. <laughs> he, he proved a lot of things to me. This uh, Well, he first transferred from uh, Virginia Tech. Went out, to, went down to Tennessee, uh, beat out Joe Milton, who was supposed to be, you know, this great quarterback in Michigan. Anyway, yep. Uh, don't let me start it. Yeah, that. don't get me started on that guy. Holy smokes! <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so Hooker, he's mature, right? He's got yep. great command of, of the huddle. He's got command of the game. He he can run. The age and injury concern now, because when he got hurt, well. When he got hurt, it derailed a lot of the momentum that Tennessee had already built up. I mean, they weren't. Here's the thing: they weren't going to beat South Carolina that next week because they spent everything to yep. beat Bama, right? Yeah, they did. And it was it was a mental, <sighs> right? Everybody took a breath, a sigh of relief, and they couldn't get that same emotion back to come back that following week, and that's why South Carolina got them. Yeah. So. With that being said, the, the injury concern, the age concern, it's he's you um, he's he's the definition of floor and ceiling, right? He's already got the floor. You 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 what you see is what you get right now with Hendon Hooker, mm-hmm. right? There's not a ton of ceiling with with him, especially coming off of the injury and and getting into the NFL system and learning this and learning a new system and and the whole NFL rigmarole, blah blah blah, but. He's a very good backup with starter capability. Yeah, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the best way to put it. Put it. I, I think if he winds up as a backup, he can truly develop into a, a starter yes. and, and a high end one at that. Yes. I, I really do think he can be a high end starter if he if he has the time and he has the right head coach. He's got the right temperament. Also, yeah. he's a leader. I imagine him getting drafted in a situation like to the and I, I think this is a great example. If he got drafted to the New York Giants. And sitting with Brian Dayball and, and being a backup to Daniel Jones if they bring him back. Yeah. I think that would be a, a brilliant move. And I think he fits the, almost a similar skill a skill set as Daniel Jones, but he's a better passer than Daniel Jones as far as I'm concerned. So he might be the better fit for, for that that, uh, that Brian Dayball system that we, that we see over there. So yeah. could yeah. be an exciting thing. Um, next up, receivers. Let's talk about my – this is my favorite position in football. I love mm-hmm. wide 
It's my favorite position in football. I get excited every time we talk about the receivers. Can I? Can I? Can I just for hot just for a second? Yeah. Can I sneak somebody in in the back door? Can sure. I, can I? Can I open up the back door and sneak this sneak this guy into the conversation? Anthony Richardson. Yeah. Yep. You want to talk about zip on a football? Brother, yeah. brother, go out there, catch three passes from Anthony Richardson. So you want your hands be stained. <laughs> yeah. uh, Richardson, one, one thing about him that I, I am concerned with, I, I think the mobility is there. It's all there. It's all there. Yeah. I, I think Touch. A, a lot of people like him a lot. I, I see that touchdown to interception ratio, that 14 yeah. to 9. He, tough reads. He, he forced a lot of passes. Yeah. I think the pressure, right, 70,000. Got a new system, a new head coach yep. with Billy Napier coming in, and everything was – I think everything – it, it kind of got to him. I think the moment got to him a little bit, and he got – and he made some bad throws. But mm-hmm. it, if you just look at traits and tools and just what he is as a quarterback, man, he's got everything you would want. He's coachable. Yes, he is. Right? He, he's got a, a very strong arm, a yep. velocity on the ball. He's just missing a little touch. Yeah, it's that's the, the most notable thing about about Richardson has been uh, mechanics is is one of the biggest things. Yeah. Uh, his mechanics are off, uh, particularly with his footwork. He has trouble throwing accurate passes in those situations, and it's his decision making is is being able to as he backs off to be able to read what is going on. He has trouble with disguised coverages is mm-hmm. the most common thing that that I see um, on top of his mechanics. Um, Richardson would probably be my, my quarterback six or seven. Um, you know, I, he, he's a good player. I think in the right system, he turns out. Okay. If he goes to, for example, I think he'd be a great fit for like Baltimore. I think he would be an excellent, excellent fit there for a guy, you know, a team that is struggling, getting Lamar signed to a long-term deal. You know, you, you look at an Anthony Richardson and I could see him being like very similar to Lamar Jackson in that. Um, Lamar struggled with his accuracy early on in his career. Richardson's kind of in that same boat, struggles with his accuracy early on in his career. He's got a hell of an arm. Like you said, I mean, he's got a cannon on him. I haven't seen a zip like that since Michael Vick. Yeah, and and that'll be the question of the day. Can he develop that accuracy? If he goes to Baltimore, and if he's anything like Lamar Jackson, Lamar, after that first year, that accuracy came around, and he became one of the more accurate passers in all of football. And I think that's kind of what we're looking at here when it comes to to Richardson. I think if if he can develop in that fashion, you're talking about a, a possible MVP candidate. Man. Yeah. Man. Now, uh, Lions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when it comes to the receivers, though, I, I get fired up. Now, my number one receiver is is one that's close to my heart because I am a USC Trojans fan. Uh, newly, newly crowned USC. Yep. I, newly crowned. Yes, yes. So, yep. <laughs> it, and for for context, and I, I talked about it on the show, just so you know, I stopped being a Michigan fan because of the way Jim Harbaugh burned our Vikings. Me too. Yep. I stopped being a Michigan fan. I was so mad at him for the way he burned our Vikings and the way he used us <laughs> to get a bigger contract. I'm not happy with him. I went searching for my new college team, and USC is the one I fell on. And and I said I like the USC Trojans. And one guy that I love in this draft, he's a very polarizing receiver in this particular draft, is Jordan Addison out of USC. Um, to me, Jordan Addison, I think he's the best receiving prospect out of this whole draft. Yep. He's one of the best route runners in the 2023 draft class. He's athletic. He's speedy. He can make cuts at a moment's notice. Uh, he consistently put up strong numbers as a possession receiver for USC. He's able to uh, make strong catches over the shoulder. 
deep routes with outstanding burst up the field. He tracks the ball well. He's capable of running routes at all levels. Okay, and he's in spite of being used a lot in deep routes at USC, he's capable of doing that. Um, people call into question his size, and they say he's a slot receiver. Oh, he's sort of the last receiver that they said that about was and Jordan Addison is six foot. Justin Jefferson, six foot one. And what did they say about him coming out of college out of LSU? Oh, he's only a slot guy. He can't play outside. Yeah. So I'm not buying all that hype. No. Uh, Especially and, and, since he was the best receiver in football last year, or one of them. Bingo. And in 2021, Addison, Jordan Addison had 1,593 yards and 17 touchdowns. He won the Bolitnikoff Award for the best receiver in the country. I mean, like, when we're talking about Jordan Addison, I think he's a special, a special player. The, the things that people are saying about him, he lacks the size, um, to, and he gives up certain uh, – uh, he gives certain scouts the perception that he's only going to end up as a slot receiver and he won't hold up against uh, press man coverage. And I don't think that's the case, but that's something that, that some of these teams are kind of looking at. He did have slight issue with drops the last two seasons. He had 10-plus drops in consecutive seasons, but that was also the same drop rate as Deontay Johnson, who wound up as one of the best possession receivers in all of football. Um, he had a rough year in 2022, partially due to injury. I can't completely give him a pass because, like we talk about, reliability and availability, he did have an injury. But at the end of the day, Jordan Addison, to me, is going to be a special player in the NFL. I'm begging the Vikings to pick him up as their wide receiver number two. I think he's that good. He's very, like I said, very polarizing receiver. Not a lot of teams are, are giving him the credit he deserves. Not a lot of scouts are giving him the credit he deserves. Um, I love Jordan Addison. He's my my uh, top receiver. Um, I think he's grossly underrated. Uh, Boots, what do you got on Addison here? Jordan Addison, he started at Pitt, right? Yes. And playing with uh, Kenny Pickett. Yep. And he put up Bolitnikoff award-winning numbers, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. So Jordan Addison, he sees, you know, the writing's on the wall. Kenny Pickett's gone, and, and he's looking over at Keaton Slovis and, you know, or Nick Patty, and he's kind of doing the Tony Romo. <laughs> and then he gets to go to USC in a system with Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams. And you know what he does? He just dominates that system, too. Two things that you need to do as a wide receiver. Number one, get open. Number two, catch the ball. Yep. Last I checked, that's all you need to do, right? Yep. And he does that better than anybody in the game. Uh, yeah, the size could be an issue, but again, size is not a skill, as Emory Hunt would say. And he is very – Jordan Anderson is very good, the best receiver in the class. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I, I really do. I I think he's – I. I I think he's just – it's not even a question. You put up numbers when you, you leave from one team to another and you put up comparable numbers. Yeah. You can't – yeah. Yeah, and, and the comparable numbers that he put up – and we, we say comparable in this situation. Um, you got to realize that he, he was hurt this, this year, um, but even on a hurt season, okay, he, he puts up 59 receptions for 875 yards and eight touchdowns. That's that's wide receiver two NFL caliber numbers all day. Yeah. And that's with an injury. Yeah. I mean, if he stays healthy and he doesn't miss time, we're talking about a thousand plus yard receiver. Yeah. So the health might be a question because of the size. But uh, I mean, ultimately, if I see this guy and if he's healthy and if he's on the field, I truly think he's going to be a special receiver. Alex, what, what say you? You know, <clears throat> I, I tend to agree. You know, I just looked at that stat line. 
uh, you know, I, I saw that he had 100 catches for 1,500, almost 1,600 yards in 21. And then it dropped off, and I'm like, oh, why'd that drop off? And you just said it. He was injured. Yep. Uh, but but even though he was able to put up 59 catches for 875 yards, uh, still, you know, with just about as uh, much of an average as he did the previous year, you know, <clears throat> you know, I'm inclined to agree that you know Jordan Addison seems to have everything that he needs to be a wide receiver number two in the NFL. Which you know, it, I mean, it takes a really special kind of talent to be a number one receiver in the NFL. Um, you know, and some of these people on the on the draft class list. You may have that capability. One, I'm looking at one right now. Uh, I'll leave it to you to determine which one it is. Uh, but uh, as far as Jordan Addison is concerned, any NFL team would be more than happy to pick him up and you know and get him to, and get him to learn their schemes. Yeah, I agree. Uh, number two comes up with Jackson Smith and the Jigba out of Ohio State. We talked about him a little bit earlier. Um, you know, he blew the doors off at the college football world in 2021. He led OSU in receiving in spite of being a number three receiver on that team. Okay. I mean, that's, that's incredible. 95 receptions, 1,606 yards. He's uh, speedy. He's elite. He's an elite NFL route runner. Um, he possesses the ability to handle business as both a deep threat and on the intermediate routes over the middle. He's a true threat in the red zone. He's a strong slot receiver. Um, he's willing and has the size and frame to make contested catches. Um, one thing that we want to point out, he did miss a lot of 2022 with uh, an injury there. So, I mean, that has kind of pushed him down the draft boards. He does have an issue with drops that sort of plagued him a little more than expected. Um, questions about his ability to play outside. Another one, he spent most of his career in the slot that raises eyebrows. But again, I point toward Justin Jefferson, you know, like, there are players where they, they say, oh, well, he played in the slot. Okay, yeah, he played in the slot. That doesn't mean he can't transition outside. And I, I consistently point to Justin Jefferson. I think it's silly, but it is something that scouts are looking at. And he has strong speed, but they say he lacks athleticism. To So, I mean, there are questions about Smith and Jigba. Um, a lot of people are say he's a little diva-ish. I, I don't know. To me, I like Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think he's one of the better receivers in this draft. He's my number two. A uh, great red zone threat. I, I think he's, um, I think the best way to put it when it comes to Smith and Jigba is he is a, uh, I, I think he's very fundamentally sound, I would say, is is the best way to put it when it comes to Jack and Smith and Jigba. Boots, what do you got on him? I mean, when I look at him, I see that he is an effortless receiver. Right. Uh, he catches the ball just effortless. I mean, he's Garrett Wilson. And Chris Olave, both now in the NFL, former Ohio State receiver, said that Smith and Jigba was better than both of them. Yeah, I don't know how true that is, but that's <laughs> right. the thing. Um, I see a guy, was there possibly an issue of self-preservation? Yeah. After the after the hammy? Yep. Right? And early in the season? Possibly. I, I You know, I'm not going to, you know, accuse him of that, but. I will. I will say this. Didn't he? Did not. For the record, he didn't participate in the college football playoff with that due to that you know injury and right. trying to preserve himself. So little diva-ish quality there that a lot of people kind of glance. He knows he's the first round draft pick, right? And he also knows, hey, we got. Yeah. Right. Right. I think we'll be all right. So I, you know, it could have been one of those deals. I, I do like him. I, I like him a lot, and I think that. Uh, whoever gets him as an NFL, 
as a, a great NFL receiver on there. Mm-hmm. Alex. So, um, uh, you know, same thing. I mean, <laughs> I will I will confess that uh, this was the name I was thinking of when I thought of number one receiver in the NFL, num- uh, a number one wide receiver in NFL, uh, as opposed to Jordan Addison. Um, I, obviously, you were right uh, about the injury, you know, and the fact that he didn't he didn't participate in the college football playoff. But you know, it's it's smart to preserve, you know, to preserve yourself for the draft, especially if you're that. Now, an, a a name that is very conspicuous by its absence on this list is Marvin Harrison Jr. But the more as as that thought process is coming through my head. Uh, I'm thinking it's only because he's not eligible for the draft yet, and that he's 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 not, you know, he's going to be still hanging around Ohio State for a little bit. Uh, which, if he's eligible, we're talking about him as number one. There's no question. Yeah, no question about. It. I mean, that kid is that you want to talk about a number one wide receiver in the NFL right now. Marvin Harrison Jr. is it. Yeah. You know, um, we, he proved it in the game against Georgia. He was he was lights out that entire that entire uh, game. As far as Jackson Smith and Jigba, I mean, yes, he's totally, you know, you know, he definitely has NFL capabilities. You know, uh, diva ish qualities. We'll have to see if he does pull a Stefan Diggs. You know, uh, we'll have to see if he does. Uh, you know, uh, we'll have to we'll have to see what happens. But. Um, you know, I, as far as I'm concerned, no, yep, he's definitely an NFL caliber talent. He could be a, I would say, top 25 draft pick. You know, uh, there's only 32 picks in the first round, but I think it, I think it'd be a top 10's a little, eh, probably 12. Yeah, yeah, I think he's he's more or less in the teens uh, because of the injury and because of the the, the questions as far as um, being a team player. I, right. I think is the best way to put it. Being a team player, you didn't you weren't there for your team. In a, in a big situation and an opportunity to win the national championship, you opted to go into the draft. And I understand mm. the logic. I understand that you have an opportunity uh, to be an NFL caliber receiver and, and you don't want to screw up your draft stock, but you know, it kind of made you look bad too. I mean, so there's the self-preservation versus the team. Got some questions there. Um, number three goes to a guy that I think is being talked about too much. I think he's overrated. Um, and I'm not sold is Quinton Johnston out of TCU. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a fast, big bodied receiver. He's, he's surprisingly quick for his size. I mean, the guy's like a Mack truck plowing down the freeway at, you know, 80 miles an hour. I mean, that's what he is. Um, mm-hmm. he's athletic. He's got breakneck speed. He'd be an excellent addition for teams looking to run RPOs and jet sweeps, I think. Um, you know, and he can accelerate into his deep routes and take off, uh, take the top off a of defense really easily. The, the, the cons. <laughs> So uh, he ran very limited routes. He was generally used as a deep pass catcher. And in spite of the fact that he has the size, I mean, he struggled making contested catches. He struggled in 2022 and didn't put up the numbers that everyone had anticipated. He struggled versus zone coverage. He'll need to work on his blocking skills to help his teammates in the run game. Quinn Johnson, for his size and for his athleticism and for his speed, He's one of those guys where you kind of talk about him and he does everything the opposite of what you'd expect him to do. He's a big guy that doesn't block well. He's a big guy that, that can't make contested catches. You know, like I, I read this guy like size wise, he comes off like a less talented, a far less talented T Higgins. And because mm-hmm. he's got all the size of T Higgins, he's got all the speed of T Higgins. 
He's a big boy, but then we're talking about him not being able to to make contested catches. You know, like how how is that a thing? How did this guy not break a thousand if he was too if he was so good? And I understand it's TCU and they're they're kind of a, a the team the team the team type of program. Okay, but but come on now, like this this guy being is being touted by a lot of scouts as the number one receiver in all of college football and no. I, yeah. Case. Those might be those might be TCU homers, uh, and and you talk about the team, the team, the team. Uh, they did beat the team, the team, the team. Um, I do I do partially blame Michigan for that loss, but uh, I think the question that everybody needs to ask is, what did they do in the national championship game? Got stomped. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know. Like you said, if if this kid can't make contested catches, if he can't make catches in the middle like a Chris Carter would, um, and I know that I know that made you pop, um, <laughs> but if this kid if this kid has those types of issues, you know he's definitely uh, you know down the list as it were. He could be a second round talent. Yeah, I don't think he is a first round talent. I think somebody's going to make that reach on him. Boots, what do you got on Quentin Johnson? Uh, he's got elite. Uh, NFL wide receiver one size, right? Yeah. Uh, I think he needs to work on concentration. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's stuck in go route territory. Yep. But he's very good at that. And I'm slightly of the opinion that he can. He he showed. I'll put it this way. He showed the ability last season to catch the ball at his highest point. I saw a play. Uh, oh man, it's gonna give it. it not a hundred percent important right now, but I, I saw him beat a corner in the in the back of the end zone and high point the hell out of a ball. Yeah, and he caught it and he almost got a penalty because he 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 ripped it away from the defender at its highest point and came down with it and he looked down at the guy who was <laughs> on the ground at that point. So maybe maybe he lost a little bit of it this year, but last year he could do that and that's what impressed me a lot because sometimes you get big guys that can't go up and high point the ball right. and come down with it and make the contested catch. Maybe this year he wasn't quite as good as as he was last year, but he's he's still good. I think he's I don't think he's a number uh, uh number one. I don't think he's a first rounder. No, I don't think so. No. He's he's definitely a second round time because you when you look at him, right, getting off the bus, most, yeah, bring him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I want that guy. <laughs> Yeah, a uh, big boy. I mean, he's got a lot of size, and and that's why I think in in certain situations he's going to be really good for Red RPOs. Yeah, RPOs yeah. and jet sweeps and things of that nature. Those little tricky plays. That size is going to be utilized to the nine. Yeah, you you know it is. You, you know that lead decoy. Yeah, at least bingo. Right? I mean, it, that's that's how he's going to be used. So I I I think um, if if he's used in that fashion. You've got a receiver who's going to really be special, but you got to find a team that's going to be able to utilize him and, and be able to build on his skills and, and build on that though, that uh, uh, trait of his size and his, yeah. his speed. you you got to do that. Yeah. Uh, number four goes to Josh Downs out of North Carolina. Um, you know, he's faster than hell. He had a 4 3 40 time. Um, he's a speedy guy. He has a lot of special teams upside. Um He's been executing an advanced route tree at an elite level in college. You know, he he runs every route that you can name. Um, it's more than anyone can say for a lot of the receivers in this particular draft. It makes him a really strong red zone threat. 
Uh, he puts he put up two 1,000 yard receive, uh, 1,000 yard seasons in college. Uh, he has the ability to get a lot of rack when the ball is placed in his hands. You get a, a quick pass, he's going to take off. The cons are the issues with the size, which will likely limit him to a slot receiver. And this is one guy where I agree that this is a situation where we're talking an under six foot. He's going to be a slot receiver. Okay, um, he struggles with press man coverage. He gets thrown off of his routes pretty easily by corners, especially the more aggressive ones. He's not a strong blocker. A lot of that, again, has to do with his size. Um, he'll need to rely on his speed and finesse rather than his physicality more than anything. But there's a lot of upside here with Josh Downs. I think he's he's fundamentally very sound. He's He runs great routes. He's got good hands. He's a big playmaker with his legs. This is the kind of guy that that you, you really sort of like. I, it, it, it sounds like he would be a good play a fit in like a place like Buffalo, I think would be a, a good fit for him as a wide receiver too with Stefan Diggs. He doesn't need to be gigantic for that system. And plus they get a special teams type of player. He's fast as hell. I mean, four, three, four, 40 time. Jeez. Oh, Pete. So Josh Downs, uh, what, what do you got on the boots? Uh, we're going to start this. We're going to start this right here, right now. This is grassroots. I hope you're listening, Josh. <laughs> Josh, touchdowns. Yeah, buddy. There you go. Josh, touchdowns. Touch, I'm going to get that to you again. Josh, touchdowns. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All I know is every time I look up, Josh Downs is scoring a touchdown. Yep. I mean, yes, he you is. can scheme this guy on. You can scheme him. To, to the slot, and he doesn't have to run a whole bunch of routes. He doesn't need to run the route tree. If he can use that ability to get open like he's been using in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. Last year, Sam Howell was getting him the football. Yep. This year, it's Drake May Yep. who – watch out for Drake May. Yeah, watch out for him next that. year, yep. And he – Josh Downs, I should say, pronouns, foul. He gets where he needs to go on the football field, and he gets open, and he catches the ball. Two things that you need for your receiver. Get open, catch the ball, and that's what he does. Yeah, Josh Downs sort of gives me, you know you know what he reminds me of? He, he reminds me of a Deshaun Jackson. He really yeah. gives that vibe, yeah. and, and I think that makes him very exciting. Alex, yeah. Josh Downs, what do you think about this kid? You know, <clears throat> I think speed is a very important thing as a wide receiver. Uh, you know, you need to be able to get into those cuts and, you know, burn your corner, burn the defensive backs and get past the safeties and all that. Uh, special teams upside is an interesting thing, uh, to have him, you know, being a punt returner, like a, uh, like a Devin Hester almost, uh, you know, because <laughs> everybody said, don't kick it to Hester. We'll see if we don't kick it to downs. Uh, he might run across the field and, uh, you know, beat the kicker and score the touchdown that way. Uh, I'd be interested to see uh, if, you know, like you said, he ran every route in the book in college. Can he do that in the pros? And, you know, does he have, like, I, you know, he, what is he giving up uh, for his speed? You know, um, I understand why he's number four on this list, uh, but you maybe maybe we would have switched uh, J Josh Downs and Quentin Johnson uh, based on the fact that, but I, I wonder if that's because of Quentin Johnson's size that he got a higher ranking uh, but I mean, there's not, there's nothing wrong with being a, you know, a super fast wide receiver. I mean, take a look at, you know, Ju Julian Edelman from the Patriots, you know, he was not a very tall guy, but he would always catch these balls like right across the middle. Tom Brady would just drop them to him one after the other, you know, he was a major part of those seven Super Bowls. 
So you know, with the talent, with 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 the speed talent of Josh Downs, you know, you know, we'll we can we'll see where he goes with that. Yeah, Josh Downs is kind of one of those guys. Uh, I, I I compare him to Deshaun Jackson. If you remember, Deshaun Jackson used to be a kick return with the Philadelphia Eagles for a while. He did kick returns as well. So I mean, it, Downs kind of you know, and and I did have him fall down this list a little bit because Quentin Johnson is just getting so much notoriety. Pro- primarily because of his size. And if you remember the last guy to get a lot of notoriety for his size and, and um, you know, his strength and whatever the case may be and his speed, DK Metcalf. And we saw how DK turned out. So, I mean, Quentin Johnson kind of, he's kind of fitting into that same mold there, which is why he sits around at number three. I think he has a lot of upside. Downs has a lot of upside as well. I think he's honestly the more fundamentally sound of the two, but that size for Quentin Johnson is just, taken at home at this point and number five goes to a guy that you talked about uh earlier on alex jalen hyatt uh out of tennessee the pros man this guy had a 429 40 time um he's got massive size um <laughs> he can he can catch and run and get yards after the catch and he can make big plays he's rack a, yards are huge uh he has the ability to create separation with his cuts he tracks the ball extremely well he was the Bolitnikov award winner this past year um Here's the thing about him, and and I think there's way too much of a small sample size. Uh, 2022 was his first good year putting up really strong numbers. Um, In spite of the fact that he does run good routes, he ran extremely limited routes. So, I mean, he runs good routes. That's fine. But, but man, he that route tree that he's been running is kind of iffy. Um, He may struggle with the press man coverage uh, as his mechanics dictate that his speed rules all. Okay. Um, played most of his snaps from the slot, which makes NFL scouts wonder, obviously Justin Jefferson, we we've talked about this already, but that is a question. He did struggle versus zone coverage, the ability to be able to sit down in zone coverage and make, make plays. That That's a question about Jalen Hyatt, but, um, I like Jalen Hyatt. The thing that makes me wonder about Jalen Hyatt is the question of whether or not he's going to be able to consistently do this given the small sample size. We talked about earlier how we see guys get, you know, go out and have a great game in the playoffs or in the college football playoffs or go out and have one great bowl game and everybody's talking about him like they're a Heisman Trophy winner. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where we're at with Jalen Hyatt. You know, <clears throat> one great season, okay, small sample size. I want to see if you could do it again. Can you do it again? And that's the question of the day. Boots, what do you have on Jalen Hyatt? Uh, nothing. <laughs> I didn't I didn't realize just until a few minutes ago that he had forego he was foregoing his uh final two years of eligibility. Mm. I was all set to talk about Cedric Tillman. Yeah, oh Cedric Tillman. <laughs> really? Cedric Tillman. Yes. Yeah, very uh very good receiver. But no, Jalen Hyatt, uh he caught a ton of touchdowns from uh Hendon Hooker. He's a, a really good receiver, young, fast. Strong. I think he's got uh, tons of potential. Yep. Um, I not a first round draft pick in my eyes. Not not right now, but probably you know, second rounder. I would say. Yes. Yeah. I think high sec high second rounder. You know, probably in the top ten. Think so. Top ten. Yeah. And then here's but here's the question that I have. You know, is he going to be good with a quarterback not named Hendon Hooker? Because you know, like I think I think the uh, small sample size you're alluding to, the Alabama game, really, yeah. 
uh, where Jalen Hyatt was basically the guy catching all those dimes from Hen and Hooker, and it was Hooker to Hyatt, Hooker to Hyatt, Hooker to Hyatt. You know, and they beat Alabama in one of the most spectacular games of the entire year. But you're right, though. Like, where's he been the rest of the year? You know, and what and what sample size? What other what other things can we put in? You know, can he can he do something like that against a Patrick Mahomes? Can he do that? Can he do that against a Joe Burrow or or Josh Allen or even a you know, even a Tom Brady or an Aaron Rodgers? You know, can he can he be a dynamic wide receiver with the quarterback that he's being given? Uh, especially if that quarterback is not exactly top tier. You know, what if he goes? What if he goes to a Carolina uh, with uh, Sam Darnold? <laughs> that that would be a situation. Um, but th- so that so that's the question that I have with Hayden, with uh, Jalen Hyatt. You know, can he can he uh, reproduce his? Um, can he re- can he reproduce his repertoire with somebody not named Hennon Hooker? Yeah, and if you look at at Jalen Hyatt's uh, stats, you know he had 500 yard games this last year. Uh, he he blew up in those five games. But if you look at the teams he took on, I mean, outside of the Alabama game, I mean, we're talking about University of Kentucky, who, UTM, who, um, 146 against Mizzou, who. Exactly. Um, and then he had 166 against Akron, Ohio. Who? I mean, so, I mean, we're, we're talking about some of the, the, the and, and look, I get it. These are teams that, you know, most of these teams that, that they wound up, he wound up, you know, showing up against. These are the teams you're supposed to be. These yep. are the teams you're supposed to smoke. But, like, in, in the other games, I mean, like, 63 yards against Georgia. He had um, 65 yards against SC. He had uh, 86 yards on just three catches uh, against Vanderbilt. I mean, we're, we're talking 63 yards against LSU. He had 58 yards against Florida. I mean, the, the, when the, the rubber meets the road and he's taking on those real teams, mm-hmm. he struggles. Seems like uh, with Joe, with uh, Joe uh, Milton, there yep. we go, with Joe Milton moving on, Hendon Hooker moving on, He's probably doing the same thing Jordan Addison did. Like, well, (laughs) time to move on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So Hyatt could be something special. He's going to go to a, a, depending on what team he goes to, that's, that's fine. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I, it depends on where he gets drafted. If he winds up being an early day two pick, he's still going to wind up being drafted to a junkie scheme. And that, could prove to be a killer for him, you know, so we'll see what happens, but I do agree with you. I think he's a day two selection. I think we're talking about a round two guy. So, and those are, and now you, you were ready to talk about Tillman. I want to, we'll, we'll let you sneak another one in here at boots. I I, I'll go for it. (laughs) Well, I do like Tillman, but there's another guy that uh, recently came into my memory banks, Mm -hmm. A.T. Perry. Yes. uh, Out of Wake Forest. Now we're killing demons over here, but, uh, six, <laughs> six, three, uh, six, five, 206 pounds. He, he's got scouts say, uh, he's got an NFL game, uh, he plays well against zone coverage. I want to go back and, and watch the game that he played against, uh, Clemson this past season. I want to see what he, uh, what he did against Clemson. I got to go back and watch that again. But A.T. Perry has prototypical NFL size for a wide receiver. Yeah. Big body. 
I, I like uh, A.T. Perry a lot. Big, big boy. He's got the ability to, to high point the ball with that size at 6'5". I mean, yeah. dude, that's, and he can run routes. Yeah, he, he's, a, he's a good route runner, too. Uh, against Clemson, he had four receptions for 51 and a touchdown in that game. Um, okay. And so okay. it was, and that's that game that went to double overtime, if you remember. Yes. Uh, I do recall that game. Yeah. Um, Syracuse, he put up 10 receptions, 119 yards, and three touchdowns on them, by yeah. the way. So, I mean, he... And it and if you look at at his his numbers throughout, uh, I mean, we're talking. Here's his touchdown numbers, and this is how good of a red zone threat he is, which is why I'm glad you're you're talking about him. Zero one zero one 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 zero one one three one. First, I thought it was computer program. You were reading. Think about yes. that. That's that's his touchdowns. So it seems like every uh, a damn near every game he he scored a, a touchdown in every game outside of three. And then he they, during the the bowl game during the uh, Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> what he did it he he didn't score a touchdown on that game, but eleven receptions for one hundred and sixteen yards against Mizzou. So I mean, we're, eleven for one one sixteen for one sixteen. Yep, I that mean means, he's a possession receiver. Yeah, he's one, damn good in the red zone. Yeah, ten yards of catch right there. Yeah. I mean, we're it's, it's a hell of a receiver. Yeah. So I mean, he yeah. he could turn out uh, a, a pretty uh, strong. He's probably a day three pick. We're probably talking about you know around four or five. Depends on what he does at the combine. He might pop. Yeah. You know how guys. Yeah. Make that, yeah. Make that run. workout warriors. Yes. Yeah. And then teams <laughs> fall in love with you, and the next thing you know, boom, we're talking about him in the first round. Right. So keep an eye on At Perry there out of Wake Forest. Um, you know, it could be an exciting one. And those are our prospects for the NFL draft at the quarterback and wide receiver position, my top prospects anyway. Um, so so there's that. Uh, we have one more thing to take care of. That is our prediction for the conference championship games. Um, obviously, I've run away with the picks, but we're still going to go to our predictions for these games anyway. So uh, here are our predictions for conference championship Sunday, starting out with the Niners and the Eagles. Boots, I'm, you're our guest. I'm going to give you carte blanche here. You get the first uh, prediction here. Uh, Niners or Eagles in this one? I get the first scoop of the mac and cheese. Yeah. All right. Well, I uh, I like the run that the 49ers have been on. I, I've been likening them to a, a well-oiled machine or, or a car, right? You just you just change the drive right, right from Jimmy <laughs> to Trey Lance, back to Jimmy Garoppolo, now to Brock Purdy. Change the driver, keeps on going. Ask C.J. Beathard if the car just keeps on rolling. Right? Yeah, right. Right? Ask, you know, who else was the other? Uh, Nick Mullins. Ask Nick Mullins, Mullins yep. if the car just keeps rolling when you put a, a new driver in. So Brock Purdy is in the perfect position uh, to, to do something special. However, mm-hmm. he's got to play on the road against the Philadelphia Eagles. It's the best defense that he will have played against all season, and it's the playoffs. The Eagles, it's the NFC Championship, right? And, and, and it's time. Uh, I, I think the the uh, I think the other shoe drops. Cinderella wakes up. Sleeping Beauty drops the slipper. Whatever you want to say, mm-hmm. it's all Eagles. Yeah, I I am over here with you here. I I'm going Eagles. I originally was going to go 49ers, but I'm going to go Eagles here. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I think that the the more I think about it, the more I think the magic carpet ride is going to come on come to an end. And and I, I think that that he's just been been you know flying by the seat of his pants here. Brock Purdy has. I talked about it last week. 
the 49ers, since Brock Purdy has come in, has not they have not taken on good teams. No. They have taken right. on teams. And and uh, right up until that Dallas game. And then Brock Purdy against that Dallas defense, while he played mistake-free football, he struggled. Yes. He struggled. 214 yards is, yes. does not an elite quarterback make, right? Right. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I the magic carpet ride's going to come to an end here. I'm going Eagles. Originally, I was going Niners. No, I'm going Eagles. I think that the Eagles are going to trounce Brock Purdy and company. We saw the comeback to Earth game. I'm going Eagles. It'll be a close one. It'll be a defensive battle. Again, I don't think it's going to be as boring as the Cowboys and Niners. And I don't think Jalen Hurts makes as many mistakes as uh, we got to see out of Dak Prescott. I'm going Eagles. Alex, who you got? So, uh, those are very convincing arguments. and uh, But I will stand my ground. I sent you picks uh, in our, our small group chat with my brother. Uh, and I, I am maintaining that the NFC Championship will go to the San Francisco 49ers. Here is why. Uh, San Francisco's defense is going, and Brock Purdy's skill players are going to bail him out. I mean, Elijah Mitchell's questionable. Uh, you know, that's a problem. You know, there's a, you know, there's a couple of players on the offensive line or the defensive line. They're questionable. That's a problem. Uh, and you're right. You know, it is time for Brock Purdy to come back down to earth. He kind of came back down to earth against Dallas. And this is probably going to be a very humbling experience for him. Um, I'm thinking I'm just, you know what? CMC, Debo, uh, Joe, Nick Bosa. You know, there's too much talent on that 49ers offense and defense to really say that they're going to get blown out but stranger things have happened in the nfl nevertheless i am maintaining that the san francisco 49ers will return to the super bowl uh but more on but more to come on their afc counterpart yeah this one is going to be a toughie the Bengals going up against the chiefs in this situation um Bengals obviously have the high ground here against the Kansas City Chiefs. They they have a th- Joe Burrow three and zero against the Chiefs here. You know it's it's an exciting game. I I think people are really believing in the Cincinnati Bengals right now, and I don't blame them. Momentum is on their side. Let's let's be real. The, the momentum is is wild here, but there's something about Patrick Mahomes. There's that dog in that man. And, and that's not to say it's not there for Joe Burrow, but there's a dog in Patrick Mahomes where you're going to come out on the field, you got that high ankle sprain, and you're going to come out and you're still going to ball, and you're still going to get your team that win, and you're going to take your team to the AFC title game in a rematch. This is the opportunity for Patrick Mahomes to prove to everybody that he is the real deal, that he is the man. And don't you forget it, as the oldest quarterback in this AFC playoff at 27 years old. That's insane. Insanity, right? At 27 years old, as the oldest quarterback, he is technically the Wiley veteran, and he's going to show everybody why that is. I'm going Chiefs over Bengals. He will exercise the demon that is Joe Burrow. Boots, what do you got? Mm. Well, when I woke up this morning, I had a, I had woken up from a dream. The dream was that Pat Mahomes the second was completely healthy and that he had all of his weapons <laughs> and everybody was happy 
But the fact is, my brother, you don't have all the weapons. You double-team Travis Kelsey, and the Jacksonville Jaguars beat the Chiefs. The Bengals are smarter than the Jaguars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The defense is better than the Jaguars. Mm-hmm. And they are, have already beaten the Chiefs. Yep. It's hard to beat a team three times, but when you do, you're better than them. Yep. The Bengals. I'm a, I'm a whisper this. <laughs> <laughs> Because I don't want people to get the feelings hurt. <laughs> <laughs> the Bengals are better than the Chiefs. Oh. Mm. So, I'm picking the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Burrow, I sat down and watched that game uh, against the Bills, and the Bills didn't know what Joe Burrow looked like. They couldn't smell him. They didn't see his jersey. It was a performance that is befitting of an NFL champion. Yep. yep. And especially an AFC champion. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. I, I, I 100% agree with that sentiment. Um, here's, okay. So in our little group chat, Scott, I sent over that the Kansas City Chiefs were going to win the AFC championship. Not so fast, my friend. I'm pulling a Lee Corso. I'm doing this live. I am changing my stance. Here is why. Uh, there's a there's an aspect that hasn't been discussed during this picks pick'em thing yet. I mean, we talked about it earlier. The Cincinnati Bengals are playing pissed off. They're angry. They're hungry. They they are they have a massive chip on their shoulder, and it's going to catapult them past the Kansas City Chiefs. And we're going to see the San Francisco 49ers versus the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Cool is going to do the same thing he's always done. The, you know, the whole coin flip thing in overtime and the defense. You know, we we chastised the Bills defense last year for choking in overtime. That's how Patty Mahomes beat him with a coin flip and a touchdown. Now the rules are different. You can't win with a coin flip and a touchdown in the playoffs anymore. You know, the other team's going to have a chance to fire back. And keep in mind what happened last year. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, you know, threw an interception in overtime and allowed Aaron, you know, Aaron McPherson to kick the most important field goal of his life at the time. And you, we're going to see that swagger out there, too. Don't forget, that guy had a lot of swagger on the, on the team. So... It may come down to a field goal, but the Cincinnati Bengals are going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs once again, return to the Super Bowl, and it's going to be Bengals 49ers. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And that's a rematch, by the way. That's a yeah, Yeah, it was, I think it was 87-88. <laughs> I mean, that that's, that's a long time ago, but yep, oh, there you go. I remember Icky Woods sitting on the bed because... Icky had a family member or a close friend. Somebody was was uh, was killed, and and I think it, it just took everything out of him. I remember yep. watching, and he was just sitting on the bench with a thousand yard stare, right? And <laughs> and it was just like, oh man, I feel so bad for Icky Woods. I remember the Icky shuffle was going crazy yep. that year, and and that was supposed to have been his time, and you know. Yeah, yeah. Things didn't work so well for it, but Montana and Rice were working very well. Yeah, yeah. The, the 90s, 
they were a completely different animal that yeah. year. But but and if you but if you remember that that if I'm not mistaken, that was the the game of the past to Roger Craig. If I'm not mistaken, Roger Craig, yeah, 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 yeah. To Roger Craig in the back of the end zone, and uh, the the Bengals, if I'm not mistaken, had the lead in that game. And if I'm not mistaken, Joe Montana marched. I think it was 93 yards, was it? And the, as the story goes, and I love telling this story because they, they told it on the movie Draft Day. You ever, you ever see that movie? A lot of people hate that movie. I actually love it. Yeah. But I'm glad I saw it. But I saw yeah, it. Hey, but but Joe Montana, he he takes a he's in the huddle, and the, as the story goes, he looks over and he spots the actor John Candy on the sidelines, and in the middle of a two minute drill, ninety six yards or however long it was, he looks over and he goes, "Hey, isn't that John Candy?" <laughs> the balls on that guy, the nerve, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know he had yep. of the situation. Yep. So I mean, it's it's an exciting thing. Uh, hey, you know, Niners and Bengals. That could very well be the case. You could see the rematch. I I think the Eagles take it. Trust me, I am actually rooting for the Niners. I hate the Eagles, but yep. I am rooting for the Niners in this situation. Um, it's going to be an exciting time. The AFC, I don't really care either way. I, but but one thing I will say is I'm kind of hoping for the Chiefs because. And, and we as Vikings fans, uh, uh, Boots, we, we talk about this all the time. Bengals and uh, Vikings are on an, an island of about 10 teams that have not won a Super Bowl. And I would hate for that island to get a little smaller. Yeah. I would hate for the, the Vikings to be the last uh, team on that little island. And and so I'm kind of I'm rooting for a situation where we see a... a uh, preferably a Niners-Chiefs bowl. I'm rooting for the Chiefs for the whole thing, to be honest with you, because I really don't want to see uh, Brock Purdy getting bailed out the way he is, winning the Super Bowl. Yeah, Brock! I don't want to see that. I don't want to see, um, you know, the Eagles obviously anywhere near a Super Bowl again. I don't want to see the Bengals make the island smaller, so I'm kind of standing there going, well, looks like uh, we're looking at the Kansas City Chiefs, but hey. Uh, we'll see how it, how it works out. But those are our, our picks for Conference Championship Sunday. Real quick before we get out of here, I want to give a shout-out to It's Your Time Massage. Uh, check, Amanda's a wonderful massage therapist. You can check her out at IYTMassage.com or you can take a look at It's Your Time Massage on Facebook. Also want to give a shout-out to uh, Face Kicked Apparel. Our boy Sean Stockmeyer, his wonderful wife, they are doing outstanding work. Uh, fantastic. Anything you want, T-shirts, hoodies, hats, uh, any type of custom work you want, you pick it. He sticks it over at basekicktoparel.com. The prices are great. The uh, uh, shirts and everything else are high quality. I highly recommend giving them a shout if you're looking for any special shirts. Alex, you got a, a uh, uh, custom shirts done um, as our uh, our resident cancer survivor. Congratulations to you, my friend. Yep, absolutely. They they came out brilliantly. You know, it's it's a limited edition shirt. You know, I might get more made. Who knows? But you know, that it's just a testament to. Uh, uh, Sean Stockmeyer's quality, you know, attention to quality, attention to detail, and uh, you know, and it's and it's uh, and the pricing is great. So if you're looking to get something done, you know, call them up. Yeah, I know a lot of a lot of wrestlers in the wrestling business are using those those uh, using Sean for for their t-shirts and and their high quality shirts and they're they're getting them out. There, he makes wonderful merchandise. Um, so I, I definitely check it out over at facekickedapparel.com. Also, a shout-out to Patch Miracle Photography. Uh, Andrew Langland, his wonderful wife, Chantel, they do outstanding work. You're looking for wedding photos, Patch Miracle Photography. You're looking for maternity photos, Patch Miracle Photography. If you're looking for uh, uh, your first 
first pictures for your babies, if you're looking for, for a sexy boudoir shoot for that special someone in your life, check out Patch American Photography. They do it all over there. The pictures are high quality. It's professional grade all the way. And they're focused on making your special day even more special. They were our wedding photographer, and it was excellent. I My, my wedding photographers were the coolest, and they came from Patch Miracle. So check it out, patchmiraclephotography.com. Uh, Alex, you have stuff going on, Steel Brothers Gaming. What's going on over there? Yep, so at the Steel Twins Gaming uh, booths, just so you're aware, uh, my brother and I run a gaming channel and uh, what we do every Wednesday night, you know, I'm, I also do Warzone on the side, but uh, every Wednesday night, we might be moving it to Tuesdays, I'm not sure, but every Wednesday night, my brother and I perform a little thing called voice acting. We take a video game that has a ton of dialogue in it, and we uh, try to give voices to the characters and uh, try to, you know, act out stuff. Well, we, you know, mostly we do it for laughs. We, we pull in, we pull in dra- dramatic moments, too. Uh, we've successfully completed seven projects now. We are working on project number eight. Uh, we've kind of had a, 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 a warm heart for the Ace Attorney series. Uh, currently, uh, we, are, uh, we are on the Nintendo Switch uh, game, uh, The Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. Uh, I've played it through before, and it's, it's quite possibly one of the greatest uh uh, point-and-click detective games I've ever played, and, and the story is tremendous. The score is beautiful. So, uh, you know, take a moment. You know, every Wednesday night, 8 p.m., you know, Package and I, uh, you know, we we churn out the hits. And there's yet another person uh, that who has a gaming channel we'd like to shout out. Who would that be, Scott? Big Willie Dubs Gaming over there. Uh, big, our boy Will Waters over there having a hell of a time over at Big Willie Dubs Gaming. He's uh, doing a lot of Modern Warfare stuff. His TikTok stuff, though, is some of the funniest shit I've seen in a long time. I love it. It's hysterical. Um, and, and I was talking the other week about he, he did a, a, a dub of a song to the, was it Major Look? By, I, 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 <laughs> you, were, you were telling me about that. Yeah, and, and the guy had a riot shield up, and as soon as he pulled his riot shield aside, Will shot him in the face, and so he dubbed the song over it when he did it because he made him look and shot him in the face. I, I thought it was it was out, outstanding, but um, his TikTok channel is great. Big Willie Dubs Game. You can check him out on Twitter. You can check him out on Twitch. You can check him out on Facebook. You can check him out on TikTok. Give it a look. Big Willie Dubs Gaming. It's a good time. And, folks, that's our show. Uh, Conference Championship Sunday is is uh we're, we're less than 24 hours away i'm excited we're gonna be chilling out drinking beer eating nachos all that good stuff so uh i'm who's who's going to the super bowl yeah and then we got two weeks away from the super bowl which i'm i'm so fired up uh, boots what do you got going on for conference championship weekend anything special well i'll be sitting sitting back with uh three tvs fired up Watching a little bit of everything all at the same time. Oh boy! And wondering what happened to my life. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? I got a little older. I think that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. that's all right, man. We still here, brother. And I'm glad you kicked out, Alex. Yeah, well, thank you. I Alex, appreciate that. Alex, getting ready to come down for Super Bowl Sunday. I'm excited for you. You're going to be enjoying your Jericho cruise this next upcoming weekend. So I'm excited for that as well. I know you're fired up for it, and then we'll we'll have you here on Super Bowl Sunday. Pulled I pork, got, baby. I got stuff going uh, coming down the, down the pipe over uh, throughout the spring and summer. I'll be working on a few projects here to be able to possibly plug here on the uh, 
on the good old outside blitz. Yeah, we we love to we we love that. We love uh, you know plugging local businesses and helping our our uh, fellow local businesses and writers and and everybody out that that these um, and we don't plug them unless they're good. That's the big thing. <laughs> you know, unless we know that unless we we're we're there and we we've read them and we're like, damn, this is a good product. That's we right. don't we don't plug them and and we wouldn't we wouldn't steer you wrong. So uh, definitely. Uh, have a look and and you're you're working on a blog right now is that correct yes sir yeah and yes, sir. so i'm i'm pretty fired up about that um so and and it, it, where's that for uh we'll have i'll have more information in the coming weeks okay in the coming weeks and months on that okay cool we're well, we're excited for it i'm fired up about it so folks thank you so much for listening enjoy your conference championship weekend uh we'll see you next week we're going to talk about a little bit about super bowl stuff we got some stuff going on um, actually, we're, I take that back. We're going to see in two weeks time, mm. two weeks time. This is, uh, around the time, just a reminder throughout the off season. Generally we go to a two week span here. Um, one thing I will point out is we will have after the Super Bowl, we will do our post Super Bowl show like we normally do a week after. But one thing I will say is that when we get to free agency frenzy time, we will have our free agency frenzy shows that, that come along, which I love free agency time, and I love the NFL draft. Those are my favorite times of year. So, um, folks, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we appreciate you. Boots, thank you for joining us. I hope you join us every time, you know, moving forward. We love having well, you. Well, I, th I thank you for having me. I was, it was a pleasure to be here, and the more we're here, the more we can – you. Yes, the bootleg better, everybody. The bootleg better. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and and for the bootleg better for Alex Steele, you can find him on uh, on Twitter as well. Alex, what's your Twitter hold there? I believe uh, my Twitter handle is at the Steel Twins Gaming. I'm going to triple check real quick, but I believe that is uh, the handle. So yeah, Steel, Steel Twins Alex, uh, at Steel Twins Alex. That's my handle on Twitter. All right, at <laughs> Steel Twins Alex. You can check out Alex on Twitter as well. Um, I'm not on Twitter anymore to hell with that, but you can check out the Outside Blitz on Facebook. I might go and get a. I might go and get an Outside Blitz Twitter here pretty soon, but, that, you know, golly, you people yeah. are just insufferable. Anyway, <laughs> folks, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time right here on the Outside Blitz. Ciao.